Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. How are you? I'm enthusiastic, as you can hear from the tone of my voice. No, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It's been a pretty, pretty good week, uh, which is quite surprising given the circumstances that we're in. Uh, And it's going to be a better week because we've got a fantastic co-host, another co-host, as ever, the wonderful Jay Coyle, who's been joining us for the season of Scorsese. How are you, Jay? Fabulous. I can just sense the enthusiasm kind of radiating off you you here. It's amazing. I am going to bring all of the sugar this evening. It's going to be fantastic. All right, so yes, last week we discussed, we broke from the form of the show by talking about a movie that wasn't on the 250. Now, we've done that several times. If you didn't like occasion. It, we're going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to go for it twice. So as, as I pointed out, and as Andrew pointed out is a lie last week, at the start of this pod, at the start of this season of Scorsese, we gave each of our two co-hosts a wild card that they could play to allow us to discuss a Martin Scorsese film that is not on the 250, but which they thought merited particular discussion. Now, last week, we discussed his uh, biopic of the 14th Dalai Lama, uh, which is Kundun, at Andrew's suggestion. And this week, our other co-host played his card. And we are going to be talking about Martin Scorsese's 2002 historical gangland epic, Gangs of New York, at the suggestion of Mr. J. Coyle. Now, as we've been doing this season, you'll find we've out, been asking our... You'll find out later on which of our cards won. Right? Yes. <laughs> trumped. Which one trumped the other one? Um, Only Darren yes, knows so what us... the rules to this card game are. <laughs> I can't wait to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, whoever wins, we lose, Andrew, because we are never going to finish this podcast. Uh, but no, no, I'm very excited to be talking about this. But... Uh, before we do, what we're doing, we've had guests on the podcast is we've been asking them about their memories of kind of Scorsese and their kind of experience of Scorsese and their relationship with Scorsese. And because we started this podcast this season with two guests, with Renok and Alex, back on, ta- back on Taxi Driver, didn't really get a chance to delve into it with the co-host. So, Jay, yes. because this is your wild card, I'm going to ask you, do you remember the first Scorsese film that you saw? And do you remember when you became aware of him as a director? Uh, yes, kind of. Um, the first one I saw is a little murky because I would have seen quite a few at a younger age that in the way these things uh, probably taxi driver, probably Rage of Ball in the 80s would be my guess. I like I, I, I the first one I officially saw, I suppose, was Goodfellas, like a lot of people, um, because I was just old. That enough. was in the, the cinema, first, was it? Or was, or was it that... wasn't. I just missed, I was too, too young for the cinema, but I'd seen it a year or so after. It was the first kind of recognizably scorsese film that i i realized he oh he did rageable he did taxi driver um that kind of thing whereas rageable had an indelible impact to me as when i watched it probably very young because it just it hammer blows you in every sense so that that was probably my first kind of watch i'd say um and that film really did a number of me but i didn't really put them together with it, the rest of the films i started kind of digging in until probably after goodfellas so my relationship is probably from then that went back to his earlier stuff. I then continued on then at cinema visits with Casino okay. and uh, I think Cape Fear as well and so on and so on. So you kind of, you caught, you caught up with it between Casino and, sorry, between um, Goodfellas and Casino. Yeah, probably. That's yeah. Like where you crammed yeah. in the class. I started, I started yeah. to kind of look, he did all these, let's watch these. Now, keep in mind, we have already recorded Raging Bull, so I feel like this is a spoiler to the question I'm going to ask now. What is your personal favorite Martin Scorsese film? Is it still Raging Bull? Um, 
I think it is. Um, I, actually, weirdly enough, favorite and best is probably two different questions, as we know with a lot of these things. I think yeah, it, yeah. I, I, I think it's the best, probably, distillation of Scorsese's kind of vision, I guess, uh, and probably his best film in that regard. Distillation is a funny <laughs> word to use in relation to uh, Scorsese. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's I mean, pure on film. It if it was distilled, it wouldn't be Scorsese. Well, that's true. But it, there's, there's something about... It would be 90 minutes long. Seems yeah. to pull it all together, his obsessions, um, in lots of ways. And I think it's kind of the personification of the kind of filmmaking he wants. And, he's, and it's the swing for the fences that ends up time. But in favourite terms, I think it might be Goodfellas, only because it, and it's just a remarkably entertaining, brilliant film. And it's one that, has, as you know, we know, has endlessly rewatchability. And I've seen it so many, so many times. I've seen it with a lot of them, to be honest. But particularly Ray, uh, Goodfellas, I'll come back to it again and again because it's always on the blue TV. So, you know, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I think you were answering you're talking about Goodfellas. The once once it's on, it's staying on. Yeah, ne- oh, ne- ne- it's never not watched, no matter what the time or the day. It's mad. But uh, yeah, so it's a favorite and best is probably those two. And then, but you catch me another day, and I might argue with us against so, for something else. It just kind of depends. Yeah, I was actually very curious. So when, when Andrew suggested doing Kundan, we suggested that we'd ask you to pick a uh, Scorsese movie that you wanted to talk about that was not on the list. It's actually interesting because I had a number of picks that I thought it might be. Okay. I thought you might throw a bit of a curveball and I thought you might pick one of his documentaries because that'd be fun to talk about. I thought you might also pick maybe New York, New York because I know that that's yes. an undervalued gem and you're usually fond of that. I am. I thought you might possibly also go for one of the 80s films, in particular After Hours because I know that you're a huge fan of After Hours. And I had also pegged possibly bringing out the dead. Yes. If only because I remember from our last year, kind of 1999 podcast party, um, you were, it was a very emotional plea on behalf of bringing out the it's, dead. It's I think pretty great. Movies. I mean, all those films I could make a case for. And now I'm thinking about it. You probably, I probably think bollocks. I should have done one of those. But <laughs> having said that, there's something about Gangs of New York that's kind of chipped away at me for in the last near, near 20 years at this stage. And I've seen it a lot of times. And I even visited a set in uh, Rome. On Scorsese and yes. mine's birthday, I might add, but uh, three or four <laughs> yes. years ago, um, in the Cinecetta studio. Appropriate enough for religious Rome. experience. Yes, it yeah. was very um, much so. Uh, just, there wasn't a huge amount of the set left. I think there's only one kind of couple of sections of it left. You kind of eke it back to studio space as time went on with it. I mean, you know, what, what's the biggest money spinner? Hmm? Had 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 every had had the had the clay just kind of overgrown. The, uh, the movie yeah. set, like they never took it down, but it. it, it did, uh... But it, but it, they did. There was a big street. I missed. There was a big one. The big long streets was there till the year before, and then they, the government did that. That's just the, the space was needed. You know the Rome TV show, the HBO show. They had a huge set belonged to that still there. That was filmed there, and the rest of it. But there's still a couple of bits left, so it was got a bit of a pilgrimage in that regard, and very much enjoyable. Are you hoping that one of your other favorite Scorsese movies that Darren might choose that one? <laughs> Which one are you choosing? <laughs> is, is that the gamble? <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I put I Andrew think, like, through I'm, enough. Like I'm, I'm not going to put and I'm not. I'm not going to put Andrew through another Scorsese film. My my wild card is forfeit um, <laughs> because I re- I realized very quickly how much of a torturous experience this well, was, this and I feel is, kind of bad about it. This is like a, a podcast within a podcast. What a, what a crazy thing yeah <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but the, the the it it has it it i don't know how like like what what number of 
Scorsese movies is this in in like the the series we're doing in the grand okay. series? So this is number number six. Right, right. Number six of roughly twelve. Andrew, you've been doing okay. I think you're being more positive than I was yeah, expecting. We had expected. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like the the, the how many? Uh, I think when... there was like there was twelve. So twelve in total, and there was like twenty eight. Um, summer of ninety nine. <laughs> I think I'm not too bad in the grand scheme. It only it only felt like yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they were different movies was the problem. I think your big problem with Scorsese, Andrew, is that you All feel right. like you've just been watching the same movie for six weeks at this point. <laughs> Get used to that, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, don't worry. Now it's going to be the well, same it, movie, but with Leonardo, with Leonardo DiCaprio in it yes. for six weeks. It's like the worst <laughs> idea of all time. Oh, the, what's, what, what's really going to grind your gears, Andrew, is next year's idea you don't even know about yet that's going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. Listeners can't see, but I have a big whiteboard behind me with lots of red wine yeah. on it. It's going to be amazing. Yes, I can't wait. Um, was it uh, one of my what crazy? What's going with the place there? Yeah. Uh, everybody <laughs> needs a COVID hobby. One of my pitches actually was going to be, and you, you're going to be so happy to hear this, Andrew. It's when Groundhog Day dropped off the list, it ruined my chance of having a Groundhog Day Groundhog Day, where we would record twelve two-hour podcasts on Groundhog Day with a set of different guests and just play them on a loop on Groundhog Day. That, that was one of Groundhog my Day ideas. is off the list. It's Groundhog not Day dropped back. off the list as part of the purge. It's not coming back. That sounds like Twin Peaks, the return type levels of weirdness. <laughs> really, I like it. Yeah. I mean, it, it it was one of the best movies on the list. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had I had I'd already like picked out a number of. Who guests doesn't and like it? About... Like <laughs> everybody of all kind of kind of philosophies and stripes, where like this is our movie. Um, yeah. yeah. But apparently, not enough. It seems. Wow. Yeah, nice. So I have to come up with a new thing to do next year to torture. I, Hunter, I don't doubt you for a second there. <laughs> um, but yes, Gangs of New York is a fascinating film to talk about, um, in large part because it is such an oddly in Scorsese's filmography. You mentioned the fact that uh, you were that, you know, for his best film for you is Raging Bull, which was the movie that he made in 1980 as his kamikaze project. The movie that he said if he didn't get to make, make another movie after that, he would be happy with it. Um, one of the things is, though, that that was kind of forced on him by De Niro. We talked about that in the podcast. Yes. But he was balancing two other films, two other possibilities. One of those possibilities was the movie that would become The Last Temptation of Christ. And the other one was this one, Gangs of New York. Uh, he had been house-sitting in Long Island in 1970 on New Year's Day when he idly picked up a book that the homeowner left around. It was The Gangs of New York, written by, I think, Hal Ashbery, um, which is basically a kind of a history and anthropological study of New York's gangs and its history and the idea of the community as it came together. Scorsese had fallen in love with the book and had wanted to adapt it as a film. He had initially planned to do it as part of the wave of kind of new Hollywood films towards the end of the 70s. So along the lines of something like, say, Heaven's Gate, something like Apocalypse Now, something on that scale. <laughs> like, with Dan um, Aykroyd. <laughs> yes, you, you heard about this. Did you hear yeah, about this? I did. Okay. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Oh, stop. Yeah, yeah, this was actually a thing. I would watch the hell out of that. that. In, in the two roles, it was going to be, I would imagine that would be something to behold. But unfortunately, after the failure no of New Bill York, Murray. York, that was not to be. <laughs> in there somewhere. Oh, he, he's grand. He can be in the monk role. Um, but yeah. yes, it, it's very much kind of... <laughs> Bring together and also bringing together all the Ghostbusters. Harold Ramis in there as well, uh, possibly as as yeah as Jack. But anyway, so yes, no. But the the thing is that obviously that fell through. New York, New York flopped, and he didn't have the chance to make it. And Scorsese apparently spent decades working on this script. Eventually, in 1997, the year that Cundin was released, uh, Disney signed on 
and said that they would absolutely Fools. love to make this movie with Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> they agreed to an $83 million budget um, on the film, which was at that stage more than twice Scorsese's most expensive movie to that point. Disney were very excited at the prospect of working with a director like Martin Scorsese on what they saw could be a massive Christmas blockbuster that would appeal to the whole family. Then they realized what it was. Uh, Disney had a bit of a mild panic attack. The chairman of Walt Disney Studios, Joe Roth, who listeners may remember from our Geely episode, and so therefore has a very fine pedigree on the 250, apparently had a massive panic attack when that happened. And he tried to offhand the project as quickly as possible to anybody who would take it. They sold the foreign rights to Initial Entertainment Group for about $65 million and then sold the domestic rights to the Weinstein Company. Darren, we lost you for two minutes or for about 40 seconds, so you might want to do that last bit again. (laughs) You just froze. Um, He didn't realize that we weren't there because... (laughs) (laughs) But it's fine then if that's the case. It's like, wow, I feel feel like this is going really well. I wish all podcasts (laughs) could be like this. So easy. I'm actually getting to. Make, I'm actually getting to make my coherent point. Um, I'm actually Excellent. getting to reach the end of a sentence. It's only taking two minutes. But yes, basically, D- Disney. Disney had initially signed on and said, "Yep, yeah, we want to be part of this Scorsese business." Then obviously, Cundin happened. Then they realized that this was not going to be a family-friendly blockbuster, and this nope. conflicted with their ethos as the Walt Disney. Yep, there we go. It's like, do you have to use the N word so much? Um, and then so apparently, Disney decided that they needed to offload it as quickly as possible. They sold the the foreign rights to Initial Entertainment Group, and they sold the domestic rights to the Weinstein Company, Miramax, um, which then set in motion an alliance between Martin Scorsese and Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. Uh, it apparently went... A b- <laughs> Stop that. Lots of photos of them together. Yeah, that, was, that was it. About- and I watched this on Amazon, and it comes up with, like, Persia. <laughs> like, cast and oh, that. And it's like... Amazing. <laughs> That's how you knew. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's how I knew. Yeah, yeah. There's, Those chicken there's, things um, are mad. I like that. They, they tell you the actors and stuff. Yeah, but there's yeah. obviously like stuff that hasn't been removed. Like, you know, they, like they, <laughs> what? What if the piece of trivia? And I think it's repeated. Is like how um, how good friends they are. Um, yeah, you probably should have quietly deleted that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, the, yeah. The, anyway, um, yeah, the, um, had like a lot of movies. Kind of, I guess we've been watching lately. Have those kind of mm-hmm. hands-on unfortunate connotations. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the fingerprints of Harvey scissor hands and so on. Um, but yes, it is. Um, but Gangs of New York is an interesting film in large part because it is Scorsese's first real epic. It's his first kind of truly sweeping kind of like you know, epic piece of cinema. It's something on the par equivalent to what Fox did with Gladiator two years earlier. Um, and it's notable as being one of the first, but by no means the last Martin Scorsese movie to hit the kind of budgetary problems that would become a feature of some of his later films. How, notably, how, did, the budget- they, how did they solve those problems? Did they get it, Jeffrey Epstein to, to give some money? Or... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, do, uh, that, that... <laughs> I do think it's worth pointing out though that New York, New York, in some ways, yes. was Scorsese's first sweeping epic in a different way. Yes, I know. I know exactly. Yeah, it's an MGM right. musical. It, it yeah. is. Yeah, uh, in, in the old school traditional way, rather than the new new yeah. work on Hollywood way, and that's for yeah. <laughs> ignominious of fate in some ways. But uh, it, so the, <laughs> it took him a while to get back to the big table in that regard. This is and, it, and he, he chose to make track. like uh, a, a, a new New York, New York, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, when he, he was Just given a second chance. <laughs> yeah, 
But yeah, it, it ran ridiculously over budget. Um, there were several times during filming where filming was shut down because the producers literally had to go and find Scorsese more money. Apparently Scorsese himself and actor Leonardo DiCaprio both put in $7 million to help keep the movie going. Um, there's repeated stories that when Scorsese's talking about the film, he'll say, oh, that was a great scene. After that, we had to shut down production for a couple of weeks while we went around and looked for more money. Um, apparently, like, quite literally, they were shooting one of the final scenes of the movie. And apparently, like, Scorsese couldn't get close up to the actors because, like, the producers came down on set and said, all right, we're at a budget. That's it. Everybody go home, uh, which is absolutely insane to think about. Yeah. But yes, this was one of the first movies that it ran over in the way that, you know, we think of, like, the Irishman running over budget, where it's like Netflix sign on for $160 million and somehow it ends up costing 210 so yeah, kind of but it's only Netflix sort of money. It's not real anyway. It's all conceptual. It's, 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 it's just it's growth. A, it's based on growth. It's a fugazi. It's a fugazi. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a what's that? It's a woozy. Yeah. Um, um, but I want to talk. So, Jay, what is it about um, Gangs of New York that you want to talk about? Gangs of New York is a film that maybe doesn't have the highest regard in Scorsese's filmography. In fact, when I think of Gangs of New York, and I have a great deal of affection for it, I think of something that you said, which is that no two words should strike fear into the heart of an audience member as profoundly as the words passion project. Yes. And when I hear that, I think of this and I think of silence in Scorsese's filmography. And that's the thing so Christ is- as well, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you love Last Temptation I, of Christ. And that's, I know that- this is it. I, it is a worrying thing as an idea. But I think what interests me about Gangs of New York more, I think, is that it's it's a it's been a relationship that I've had for nearly twenty years with. And it's a film I saw when it came out, saw it in the cinema, um, quite liked, was cringing at huge chunks of it, and really, like all of this for that, you know, um, <laughs> and. But that's kind of changed over varying degrees over years and years and years in that things that would have bothered me when I saw it first don't particularly bother me. And it's not, I don't think, for the most part, I don't think it's me excusing it because I want to like it. I think it's more um, that I misconstrued the, the reasoning for it. And, and, and the Irishman has similar things and I'll come to that again another time because I think they're work compared in lots of ways um, but like things like accents which I would have had a real problem with when I watched the first don't seem as ridiculous anymore because in the melting pot sense there's nobody's really from anywhere here because yeah. the, the place hasn't really been established in a sense everyone is in, in the muck uh, you wouldn't call the bad accident the, the bad accents police on the police with bad accents <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I like take that, John C. Riley. But I would have had though. I I I cringed at some when I watched it first, and I but I think they they've aged pretty well, as in how they fit thematically to the story, which is interesting to me. And it's one of those weird things that I remember watching Michael Collins a few years ago and finding Julie Roberts' accents <laughs> fairly acceptable, and finding Aidan Quinn's accents horrendous when it's generally the other way around in terms of how they're perceived and. Perceived, yeah. not great but you know in the grand scheme of things it's interesting how different viewings at different times give you a different kind of think on it and i think gangs new york in that way has chipped away at some of the things i didn't like about it and it's not perfect it's still a little messy but I, th- I don't think there's been anything like it since particularly in the hollywood sense it's very much its own very strange beast and i'm really really glad that it exists it's not a masterpiece but it's not a million miles away from one and you could see why he wanted to do it. 
and why it exists yeah. and why the ambition was there and the story was there. There's something extraordinary about it, even while it's not quite always working. I think actually what I think when I think about the movie, I think about the A.O. Scott review from back in 2002, where he says that, you know, Gangs of New York is not a great movie, but it's almost a great movie. Yes. And his closing line was to observe that I think the time will make up the difference. And, like he's and right. I'm still, yeah, I'm not entirely sure it's, it is like a great movie no. with capital great, but I, I think it's a better movie now, ironically, yes. than it was when it was And released. I think I would uh, argue it's a better, it's closer to a great movie than a lot of movies that's come out since that being called great. <laughs> if, you, if you get me. Uh, and I'm will age, I'm, I'm age better than a lot of them. Not all, but a lot of them. I'm not going to get into naming films yeah. or whatever, but you know you know the type that come out every year. We, we argue the toss every year about these. Yeah. I think it really listeners, has, listeners, Jay has a little a notebook of paper. It actually looks like it's several sheets of paper that he will read from yes. at length now. Yeah, I'd um, take about an hour. Uh <laughs> <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? Just get I, yourself comfortable. I think, no, it's, I, I think it's aged very well. And in the way that a lot of films don't. And in some ways, some Scorsese films ha- hasn't. And we'll get to them in other weeks. But I do. Pre- <laughs> and I think Darren laughing in recognition of what I'm talking about. But I think it's aged very well. And I, and I really like it. And I really like watching it. And we'll get into the specifics yeah. of the hows and whys when we get into the film in a little bit more detail. But I, I really like it. Yeah, this is kind of interesting because you mentioned it being a kind of film that they don't really make anymore. It really is in terms of practical effects, in terms of costuming. You mentioned the sets there, which are phenomenal. The production design was done by Dante Ferretti, a protege of Federico Fellini as well, who'd worked on things like, you know, Medea, uh, La Nuit de Vernes, and he'd done The Age of Innocence with Scorsese as well. Medea. Uh, not, not Tyler not Perry. Perry. <laughs> yeah, not, I love where your head's at, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get your head out of the gutter, man. Great works, yeah. I, I love that. The great works of production design. The Age of Innocence. Tyler Perry's Medea. Yeah. And Tyler Perry's Medea to tie it all together. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He worked with Fellini and Scorsese. No, Perry. sorry, sorry. That's, that's not a good Medea. Um, no. <laughs> a bad I thought that was a Darren. I thought you were going for a Darren there. Oh well, yeah, we're in bad accent towns or bad impressions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's fair. I, well, given the movie we're talking about, that may entirely be appropriate. But no, no, it is, and I think that it, it is a movie that you know the kind of movie they don't really make anymore. There's one big CGI shot in here, and I'm kind of curious. I suspect both of you know what it is, but there's only one huge CGI. I assume shot that's the reveal, movie. the pullback and reveal. Of the city. No. No. Okay, well obviously that as well. Um, yeah, uh, and then Scorsese didn't actually construct like, you know, yeah, the whole of Manhattan. Century New York. Yeah. I, I would have <laughs> yeah. liked if he did though. That would have been quite amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a there's that's a why CGI it, elephant. That's why it ran off. Oh, yes, yes. the end of at the end of each day they would try to reconstruct New York City. <laughs> They'd be like, ah oh, damn it, we uh, ran uh, out of money again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, no, no, it is in terms of like practical effects and in terms of texture, in terms of weight, in terms of objects having kind of substance and mass. It, watching it for this podcast, I was kind of amazed to be taken back to how this used to be a way that we used to make films mm-hmm. and within my lifetime, which is kind of stunning because I can't imagine a film with these sorts of sets where it looks almost like Disneyland as, and as weird as that sounds, where you have these kind of like houses that are built on little mountains with little wooden yeah. sort of, you know, ladders and little wooden walkways that go up to them and things like that. You have kind of streets and you've got these bright colors and costumes. It's all, it's a remarkable production. And I remember Absolutely reading um, that I think George Lucas visited a set at one point yes. and said that like, 
how the hell did you get away with this essentially like they'll never let anybody <laughs> do this again this is the last time this will ever be at the scale like physical yeah. kind of building of sets and design and all that kind of, they won't do it again and he's right to all yeah. sets purposes yeah lucas was entirely right there and again very respectful of it and again he was the one who came up with the idea of the cgi elephant because of course he did um A gloriously surreal touch i have to say Oh, it is. Well, that was the big thing. There were lots of little battles that were fought over the film. And we'll talk about some of them in terms of like the Scorsese and yeah. Weinstein battles. But the elephant was very much kind of one of those where Weinstein didn't want the elephant in the movie because it would cost a lot of money. And Scorsese's like, but we have to have the elephant. And then George Lucas arrives. He's like, what if you could both have the elephant and not have, and not the, elephant. have, an, have the elephant? <laughs> and it was like, you, Lucas. Lucas, you've done it again. You son of you've a done bitch. it again. <laughs> yeah. it's, um, <laughs> it's a talking elephant. And he has a Jamaican <laughs> accent. <laughs> like, Could you yeah. imagine? It's a vaguely, vaguely racist kind of caricature. Not basically. vaguely. Is that elephant Jewish? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is he Jewish or is he Italian? Yeah, That's a quite, no. We can't really determine yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Um, but yes. Um, all right then. So before yeah. we jump into the spoiler zone, um, Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw Gangs in New York? I remember the first time I saw it. I, I imagine it would have been around the time that it was out. I, d- I don't know if I saw it in the cinema or not. This is this is my kind of stock answer. Unless it kind of came out before I was of age. It's kind of like, <laughs> I, maybe Network 2. <laughs> yes. 9pm on Friday. Right? Yeah. Or no, was it Saturday? When was the big nine? Anyway. Um, Thursday and Saturday were Thurs- the big nights for Thursday and Saturday. So yeah, probably kind of maybe. Cool. Without breaks, about 11 hours long. <laughs> yeah. This came out at Christmas, right? Yes. Like yes, on in, in, in the cinema. So, I mean, it's possible. Possible I would have got to see it, but I wouldn't have been very old. It was um, originally supposed to come out in December 2001, but obviously when 9-11 happened, uh, Weinstein said there was no way that they could release yeah. this in cinemas, uh, in large part due to its content, uh, its tone, its depiction of New York, its, its level of violence. It's cynicism, yes. It's depiction of like fire, the, the fire department and the politics. police department as well. Yeah, and yeah. politics as well. That there was no way that the movie yeah. could have been released in December This is the civic police. This is not this is the municipal police. This is <laughs> not the police. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Remarkable. It, when when it you're trying also, to get people behind, like first responders. Yeah, this is not the film for <laughs> yeah, it. Like, is, yeah. Let it burn. Move on to the next house. <laughs> imagine, yeah, you can imagine what what what, what people uh, maybe had in mind when when they were like, I don't think the time is right for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't like, actually agree with them. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it was a good and call. It, it's funny that like talk about reading the room. They yeah. waited from 1977, and it's like finally in 2001. Like, they're gonna the world will it. be ready. And All the like bloody things. Time. Yeah. Um, and then they 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 have. Um, well, I, I suppose it's a it's a spoiler for the, for the movie that this exists in a world where 9/11 never happened. Um, <laughs> Indeed. A, or yeah. the or, or the movie ends on September tenth, two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, with, and Robert Pattinson is looking out a window. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what's what's that movie called again? I think it's like Remember Me is what it's called. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen this. I'm curious to watch it though. <laughs> yeah, um, we haven't entered the spoiler zone yet, but I think from context you can get most of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, 
But yes, also what may have prevented it from being released in December 2001 was the fact that Scorsese was not yet finished shooting it. Apparently he was shooting pickups into 2002. Can I ask a question there? As you, well. you may know the answer yeah. to this because you're, you're, you're a good trivia king for these kind of things. I remember when it came out and I, I, it was released in the States and I was kind of unusually interested in the box office of that weekend because I wanted to see how it did, you know. And I, I think it made like 13 million or something the first weekend. And it was like, all right, this, this is going to crash or burn. But the second week it came out, I think it was replaced by some absolute humdinger of a terrible comedy that number one it was like Kangaroo Jack or something. <laughs> some nonsense. <laughs> Absolutely wiped the floor over a box office wise. And I imagine the Miramax executives going, whoopsie daisy. Waiting me by Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been easier to direct him as well. It probably um, would have. And a lot cheaper. Uh, yeah. yeah. A lesser uh, Christopher Walken movie. Wasn't Kangaroo Jack the one that originally didn't have a kangaroo in it? I've never seen it, ironically enough. I believe it's Kangaroo Jack where um, when they when, when they filmed this, they're, they're, like none of the actors were aware of there being a... Okay. Yeah, and that the, it was supposed to be like a mob movie and then the, they... Didn't they, what? like, they... <laughs> was it that they screen tested it or did like focus groups and people didn't like all the violence yeah, the whole thing. like they made it <laughs> and they're like um, if only we had an, anthropo- an anthropomorphized uh, kangaroo in here it yeah. would be much better the, and I, I don't I'd, um, I, I might be completely mistaken but I I, I, oh, I might I also like be completely mistaken about the film but uh, yeah um, it's, 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 it was gonna it, it was Jerry O'Connell's big break yes <laughs> um, yeah but, um... Well, it, it is worth noting, actually, that the film um, was originally supposed to open on Christmas Day 2002. It actually opened a week earlier because apparently Miramax got into a staring contest with, and I think we mentioned this back in our podcast covering it, uh, Catch Me If You Can, ah, Leonardo right. DiCaprio yeah. um, and Steven Spielberg against movie. Each other. They were indeed, and apparently it Probably was Miramax be a winner. that blinked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, of those two yeah, scenarios. Yeah, yeah. Which but one do you watch first? When... Did we talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> of the two, if you want to build a Scorsese or so DiCaprio shared universe. But yes, apparently uh, what pushed it was DiCaprio said he didn't want to do publicity for both of them at the same time. He found it would be slightly uncomfortable and awkward. And also because Jeffrey Kratzenberg apparently said to Weinstein, I don't think this is the Christmas movie that you think it is. And apparently that was what convinced Weinstein to say, OK, fine, I will open it a couple of weeks earlier. He should open um, it in October course. or November, really. Uh, this was not a Christmas movie in any sense or... Well, I mean, to be fair, we say that, but we'll be talking about, like, The Wolf of Wall Street in a couple of weeks as well. That's true, yeah, Uh, fair point. But it's worth noting that, yes, it did not perform particularly well. It got steamrolled by uh, Lord of the Rings to the Two Towers. or the Fellowship. (laughs) bad December to be put. (laughs) Good jeez, Marty and Miriam. What are you doing? Good God, we go against Spielberg and the... Whoopsie daisy! Lord of the Rings, Jesus. And not even the first Lord of the Rings, but, like, the Two Towers. So you know what it's done. Yeah, it's not as if the first you know 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 what's going to happen. (laughs) Yeah. yeah there's Jesus. no real way to get kind of... the poor swine yeah, it also it got crushed by made in manhattan on two weeks notice those may be the rom-coms that you were thinking maybe of. yeah um, oh good jesus yes they now to be fair it did eventually kind of gross reasonably it, i think it did okay numbers. worldwide didn't it? i think the, yes that was that's popular it, it enough, better uh, worldwide yeah <laughs> surprisingly america may not have been in the right frame of mind but the for thing gangs of New this York. is the thing with scorsese is films are very or can be very anti-american or very truthful <laughs> about uh american kind of societies and ills and they don't they, they're not a big fan of that <laughs> yeah in general like, it generally work for them 
I do love that our recurring theme in this th- season of Scorsese is Martin Scorsese saying, I'm going to make the biggest blockbuster the world has ever seen. People are going to flock and see it. I can't imagine why people wouldn't turn out to see <laughs> my movie. What is wrong with this film? And- <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? What's wrong with the audience? paradise? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I love the idea that like you can tell when you read Scorsese interviews or you read like like discussions with him after the fact, he, he really seems to scratch his head and go, I don't know why audiences didn't yeah, respond to it. Like New York, New York. It's like, a, you know, a MGM kind of like musical about an abusive 70s relationship. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know why that isn't what audiences wanted. I just can't get it. I, I I, can't I'm with it. him yeah. in theory, I, but I also know why they didn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's, that's, that's like, very fair. Because I did respond to it, but it doesn't mean anything if I'm <laughs> me and five others have seen it. Like. Um. What I will say, actually, I, I do remember seeing uh, Gangs of New York in cinemas, actually. Gangs of New York has a very special place. It was my first Scorsese movie in cinemas. Ah. Um, and it was the first one that I actively sought out. I think I mentioned the podcast before. I saw Cape Fear before I knew what a Scorsese movie was. I think I probably saw Goodfellas afterwards. And then I saw Casino on television, knowing that it was a Scorsese movie and wanting to watch it. I saw Bringing Out the Dead with my parents. Um on a Mooney family movie night, which was great fun, as you can imagine. Oh, yes. Maybe my parents weren't exactly on the wavelength of that no. black comedy, like Taxi Driver Redux, but I, I really quite enjoyed it. And I managed to sneak into Gangs of New York. And I remember that I was the only person who did, uh, because I was a teenager at the time. This was an 18 was 18 film. significant for sure. Like, yeah. That is, yeah. I had a goatee and a ponytail. And also the fact that I don't think that many kids my age were queuing up to see a period piece drama I will starring point out the Darren, heartthrob. Pictures that didn't happen, so on the show notes there should be a picture of your <laughs> ponytail and uh, goatee and as part of the show notes. I want to Photo see. Photo of his goatee. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's more the ponytail I want to see. Yeah. Uh, was, it, was it they used to call me a nerd camp sleezus, uh, apparently? Um, <laughs> you had that yes, kind of uh, 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 Davi Ginola, but like a mixed up um, da- David Gillard, like not the sexy Frenchman type. Well, the, the um, because <laughs> he, he used to go around and say, um, um, it's it's L'Oreal and I'm worth it, or people would make you flick it. <laughs> yes. It was it was a, like flick it, it Darren, it was, flick it. It was glorious. <laughs> My mane was glorious. Um, you say like yes. um, I'm I'm an asshole, not a movie star. Um, <laughs> yes, I would also say that. <laughs> and it was also true, to be fair. It was a very accurate statement of how things are. <laughs> but yes, so while I had the long hair and goatee, I was able to get into 18's films. And also, I don't think that many kids our age were queuing up to see Leonardo DiCaprio's latest movie. So I managed to get into uh, Gangs of New York, and I remember falling in love with it. And actually having a great deal of affection for it even since. Even though I think I went through a phase where I was like, this isn't very... Uh, first of all, my reaction as a teenager was, this is the most amazing thing ever. Then I was like, wait... Maybe this isn't very good. And now I'm back at, this is pretty much one of the greatest things ever, which is fantastic. Right. Have a nice little arc there, a little bell curve I, journey. I'm glad you had that third move, the, the, <laughs> the one where it goes back to good. Because the, 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 the thing you described of, oh, this is amazing. I can't wait to see this. It's very kind of Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, maybe this isn't good. I don't know if this is good or not. Let's burn the cinema down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our little sort of draft rides there. All right, then. So before we jump into the spore zone, three questions to get us started there. So we'll go with the uh, we'll go with Andrew first. Andrew, do you think that gangs of New York? <laughs> you know what the question is. How can you be nervous about it? No, I'm not nervous. Uh, Andrew. I just don't want to like like yeah, just kind of no, <laughs> no, it's not. 
Uh, they, okay. <laughs> or like, like I, I don't know. Like uh, you can kind of admire kind of somebody maybe trying to make a movie on this scale. Um, uh, I mean, did did I? No, no, I, I don't. I don't think it uh, it it ought to be under two fifty. But um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's it, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm 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 not I'm not mad about this. No, um, okay. but that 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 probably comes more to the second question. But it's very difficult, kind of. I guess when you don't to like something, to, yeah. To, yeah, to be like, to this say, is great. it's great, it's <laughs> tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I it. am. I'm smiling <laughs> through my teeth. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like um, my, uh, <laughs> like when you say that something is great, you're just saying my opinion is that it's great. Yeah, right? it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it is objective fact, Andrew. Uh, but yes, I, I can see where you're going from there. And Jay, when what I about consider yourself? objective fast, I'll tell you. But uh, no, <laughs> uh, it probably doesn't as well. I have to say, I like with the usual proviso that um, lists are probably better than plenty of a lot of films that's on the list. Uh, but it, with, having said that, it probably doesn't. Even if you love it, I think it's too idiosyncratic and weird and messy to perhaps fit. Yeah. But I not to say that you know it should be on a list somewhere. <laughs> 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 Possibly oh, one should keep start track. a list. Yeah, to keep track of these movies. Yeah. Um, um reasons why we shouldn't give Scorsese all that money to make Killers of the Flower Moon. Um but yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I should um, say, by the way, like it had its moments for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have like yeah, we'll, we'll come back around that. You don't have to qualify. You're hedging again. It's like casino when we talk about casino, where it's like I really don't like this movie, but I like that one bit, but I really don't like that movie. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's okay. nice to talk, to, 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 to try yes. and kind of like uh, uh, talk about the kind of interesting uh, things that you did like about it. <laughs> Mostly I liked all the trivia that was coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andrew's sitting there wondering why he's not watching Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi on this movie. Damn it. Yeah, um, and I, yeah. I would actually agree with the, the pair of you. I don't think that this belongs list the 250 greatest movies ever made. I don't even know. This prop isn't in Scorsese's top 10. It might be in the top half of his films, possibly, I think, but it will be a close run race. Um, and then second question is, Andrew, would it be on your own personal 250? Um, no, it's it's um, it's kind of the uh, I don't like how dirty and generally whoopsie daisy it's not a it's not a it's not it's not a kind of a world that i want to spend any time in in case i get cholera i can understand that though and i i I like it's funny because i keep on mentioning how i like uh, because when when we were talking about kundun last uh week um i mentioned that i like um uh the mission Presumably, like if 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 you're in the Amazon, the, the chance of getting some like kind of w- w- waterborne disease would have been even greater. Uh, maybe that I don't know, but no, it it feel it feel it feel this movie is sticky. Like I don't want to touch it. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's gross. 
And they're, they're, I feel like I need hand sanitizer to visit it. Yeah, and oh. it, it's calling it's calling after Gundam because I know that he can make beautiful movies, um, <laughs> but it, like like he doesn't want to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he 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 likes kind of the He's grimy happy. things. <laughs> he does, you know. He he loves yeah, grubby yeah. stuff. And I mean, like, like if you like that sort of thing, then then this is gonna really kind of, yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. The, but no, no. It wouldn't. Yeah, per, pers, pers, personally, no, no. It would. Listeners, wouldn't wait until you get to Darren's answer to this question. Is, is what Andrew's saying. There. <laughs> I love sticky stuff. Um, Daddy. Nothing yet. Um, get very excited here. Apologies. All right, Jay. What about yourself? Would it be on your own personal two fifty? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I like I don't know how high my list goes to when I get to the point where <laughs> I'm on the less than five star or first. Like, I don't know. Well, how how would this rank in terms of Scorsese for you? Would this uh, be top ten? Would this be top fifteen? Top would this half, be top twenty? Uh, I think it'd be pushing top ten. I think. Uh, I do, and it's only in the last few years it's really kind of snuck in there. Uh, the last couple of watches, um, and it, and it, we'll get to why in in a lot of ways. And I know Darren, you'll have similar kind of things about the politics of it and stuff like that. I think there's interesting things in it now that speak to now that maybe weren't every day. Oopsie Daisy. Daisy. Yeah, yeah. But I do think <laughs> specific it it specifically approaches something that has been bubbling around American politics for a long time and American society a long time, and I was addressing it then. But I think it's more clearly fits the way America kind of sees itself now or reflects itself or the, the ugliness yeah, I, of it, the mirror kind of image of what it thinks it is versus what it is. And I think, yeah. I think that really stands to it, but like, I, is it a, is it a great film that's in your great 250 list? Probably not, but I still love it. Is it too hopeful for, I feel like, the opponents kind of respect each other too much. <laughs> for it to work yeah. as a metaphor for today. Like I, build, a I, build a Butcher is too literate for it to work as a metaphor. Um, you meet, he's, he's, he wants to learn. Daisy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they, they... He wants to learn. What's that word there? Yeah. Ghoul. Oh, I like that word. Um, do we think that anybody involved in current American politics has ever said, I like that word? No. Um, it's a good word. A great word. The best words. All the best words. It means yeah. a ghost. I didn't ask you what it meant. I asked you what it was. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Um, but yeah, this might actually make my own personal 250 oh. for reasons that are entirely sentimental. Um, as I mentioned there, the first Scorsese movie I saw in a cinema, one of the first movies I remember seeing in the cinema by myself because nobody would go with me. Oh. Uh, but also being completely well, Not everyone had well. like a goatee and a, and a, and a, and a ponytail. ponytail. Like I'd, I had a beard, but also like I, I was more into... Pretending to go see a movie. <laughs> and then, yes, and... then actually seeing a movie and then just yeah, knocking yeah. off and having some beer. Beautiful, yeah, some beautiful. Cider, some cider. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're free for the evening to go see your movie. You enjoy. Uh, um, <laughs> I'll see you yeah. later. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to I would have to read about movies like in the newspapers so that I knew what the movie was about. <laughs> when you were quizzed on it. Yeah, when you were yeah. when you were quizzed when you came back. Uh, which I love that level of research. I feel that says a lot about the differences between me and you. But yes, I do remember like I remember seeing this on the screen. I remember this being like nothing I had seen before, and to be frank, quite like nothing I've ever seen since. Um, in terms of like a depiction of a historical period, in terms of like depictions of a kind of historical epic, in terms of weaving together, you know, fiction and 
you know, real in inverted commas history as well. It was something that to me was kind of like mind blowing in the way that it did that as as a teenager, as a kid. I don't know if it still holds up in that sense, but I found it fascinating. And revisiting it, as Jay mentioned, it has aged remarkably well as well. Well, and it's one of those movies. I mean, it, it's less historical than a lot of um, Scorsese's movies, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like and and that it doesn't kind of say at the beginning, kind of like. Based on a true story, or adapted, a true story from, or adapted or inspired from a true by, story, yeah, like or like with Godfather, by or, um, or Casino, or 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 or, or so many others, um, um, or, or or like the guy is here and he told. Yeah, no, he very much used the book as a jumping off point to talk about yeah. an era. I think, and I think that's kind of clear, kind of early on. Yeah, but I think even the yeah. book, like. But it wasn't. It, it was. It was a novel. No, the book has been than... subsequent. Well, the book has subsequently been disproven, or sort of a lot of its historical observations have been drawn into question in terms of its like anthropological history of New York and its kind of relationship and the depictions of various gangs and kind of politics and I mean, feuds in there as well. I mean, like, did they change the name in the book, or did they just change the name? Because like there, there, there wasn't, there wasn't a William uh, Cutting. Um, no, there, there was, there was William, a, Poole. William Poole. Like, yeah. did, did, is, did, has Scorsese just decided to rename people, or I presume well, he, he has the name for... because, William, because William Poole died ten years before the movie set. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, did, is that? And anyway, sorry. Did they just want to put it in the in the draft uh, riots? Um, That's it exactly. Basically, they wanted to set it against the backdrop of the draft riots to portray that moment as a moment where American identity was kind of forged and having this story that is again, this kind of like Oedipal story, but falling against the backdrop of this kind of larger cultural historical milieu and the way in which like the film's climax kind of uses that where the, you know, the narrative that's being told is interrupted by these larger historical forces and stuff like that, which I, I, I really like. I guess and we'll talk really about like. it later on, but I felt like that was kind of rushed and confusing. Um, okay. Yeah. I, 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 I think if that's the reason why they, they, they took so many liberties than they kind of needn't have. But um, anyway, sorry. Um, the, <laughs> All right, then. Sorry. But, yes, so it would, this would possibly make my own 250. Thank you, Andrew. And then final question. If listeners have not seen Gangs of New York, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, take the time out and watch it, Andrew? Oh, me? Um, it's long. Um, and it's did, two hours and three quarters. Yeah, yeah. The... It would have been longer. Apparently, there were rumors of a yeah, three and a half hour it was, cut. Yeah, the original cut was an hour longer. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I, 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 there was talk of a five-hour cut as well. Uh, yeah, for a while. apparently it was described as like a mini-series. Is yeah, how it was described. Yes. I can imagine. So it's yeah. it's 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 like a more concise. Um, we 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 were Irish going to man. do gangs of Wasipur yes we are going to do gangs we were before the pandemic spared us that apparently yeah but yes gangs of wasapur was going to be our indian summer episode. actually i want to see that as well because i missed that at the dublin film festival a few years ago because um what's it uh who, was, who wrote shampoo the american film not robert town the other guy it's robert town anyway he was at the lighthouse and i wanted to see him so i missed gangs of wasapur but i still haven't got around to it but anyway, all right, we may we may call you out of co-host retirement. Yes, I've just, I've just I've just, just committed myself to eleven hours. God damn it! Yeah. I walk into this every time. Yeah. Jay put reaches into his uh, his drawer, takes out his co-host cap, and puts it on. Why don't you ever do this work. for the like the seventy minute films? Give me a seventy minute films. I'll be there in a heartbeat. Like. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, you did you did Hatchy, right? I did. God bless Hatchy. God bless it. God bless that dog. <laughs> All right, then. And, and, and so, Andrew, would you recommend people watch this two-hour and three-quarter um, movie? I mean, it 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 it, it it's. No, no, I wouldn't. It, 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 has it, it has its moments. I did actually laugh, but it's, it's really not a funny movie. Um, but it's but, but, funny, but, it, but, it, but I, it has, it's, funny, it has but... its moments, you know? Yeah. But don't go into yeah. it. <laughs> like, um, it's a expecting to laugh a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's because um, it's not funny. Did you no. go into it expecting to laugh a lot? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I've seen That's it before, the... Darren. I knew I didn't okay, like it already. From the way that you described it, though, it was like, "Don't make the mistake I did." No, but I'm trying to think. It of is not Ferris kind of, Bueller. Like, like, yeah. um, like you won't be surprised now when you when you find a funny. Because <laughs> I've just said, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. So I've ruined yeah. it. So no. Oh yeah, um, I probably probably wouldn't. Like, sorry, I feel bad because I because I I because I, I, I didn't enjoy it. Listen, I, I, one of the best parts of the season is listening to Andrew Jackson. I know he's not a big Scorsese oh, yeah. fan. So it, it really interests me when you like stuff. And it, it interests me more when you don't. Because the whys are interesting. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we did draft in Jason specifically because I foresaw this. <laughs> not to the extent that it would happen, but I did foresee it. Uh, but Jay, what about yourself? Would you recommend that people pause the podcast uh, and watch? I don't know. I, I think it's one of those ones that you'd probably need a particular kind of mood for. It's not it's not the jaunty jump into it, let's stick a DVD on kind of film. I think you have to kind of prepare yourself a little. I think Andrew's correct in the sense that it's it's like, you know, it's not fun and games, it's and it's long and it it drags you through it. So it's I don't think it's for every moment, but I I do think it's absolutely worth watching. But I I'd probably pick my uh my point to watch it as opposed to just rush headlong into it. The yeah. Darren was worried a moment ago that my mouth was all glued up. <laughs> oh, okay. Andrew. Thanks, That's... Andrew. Keeping it classy here on the podcast. Um, Darren is also hey, sitting yeah, yeah. here draped in an American flag in a rocking chair. <laughs> I just hit my eye with a knife. I hope you're happy. Yeah. You know, apparently Day Lewis improvised that. Well, he yeah, had. He had, he had his eye taken out he, for the length. Yeah, the for the role. Yeah. No, he practiced. He could. He could tap his eye with a knife. Um, without without <laughs> blinking, no, because he got glass like put over it, seemingly. Nice. Are you surprised that Daniel Day Lewis? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm surprised he didn't have his eye taken out for the per- for the whole length of the shoot. Yeah. To be honest with you, exactly. No. What's that joke about watching Daniel Day Lewis play Long John Timber? You know, just hand him a hacksaw. <laughs> yeah. No, I suppose we'll 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 get to kind of discuss. Yeah, I, I, I do want to discuss Day Lewis. I, I want to discuss yeah, Day Lewis. I think it's a great performance, so I'm looking forward to get into it because I I find method acting exhausting, so it'll be a fascinating yes. kind of thing to get into. All right, then. And for myself, I would recommend it. I would accept that both Andrew and Jay are correct here. You probably need to be in the right mindset for it. You need to kind of set aside an evening for it and commit to it and be ready for something that is, at least in my estimation, quite unlike most historical epics that you have ever seen before um, and quite different, I think while dealing with a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same ideas, and a lot of the same motifs as other Scorsese movies, also quite different or quite jarring in terms of tone as well. Yeah. But I think that if you go in with an open mind, um, I think that there's a lot in there that you'll like, a lot that will reward it. And I think that there are elements that even if you 
are wary of the movie itself. The The production design is worth getting lost in. I know Andrew joked that everything looks like it's sticky. I think that's amazing. Uh, but even things like we mentioned the performance of Daniel Day-Lewis as well, which is absolutely mesmerizing. He also looks sticky. Uh, he does actually look very very sticky um but even the supporting cast as well people like jim broadbrent eddie marsden's in there as well stephen graham's in there um, it's, it's a ph- yeah it's a phenomenal supporting cast uh, liam neeson in there as well so i mean i think that there's a lot there to to recommend it if you are curious and you want to check it out so yeah i i would say if if you want to try something uh, a bit interesting if you kind of like want to try something that's a bit different from the other scorsese movies we've talked about you know on this podcast watch kundan uh but if you want to watch another one that's only you know slightly less different than those watch this one i would say i think this is well worth a watch with that in mind then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone <laughs> So, Jay, what is Gangs of New York about for you? Oh, Jesus. Um, I suppose it, to put it into the, you know, that oft-mentioned appalling film, it's about the birth of a nation, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's taken what uh, was muck and piss. And Whoopsie-daisy! As Andrew kind of alluded to in the film, the stickiness and the awfulness of it and bringing civilization smashing off it whether you like it or not, in the small patch of the world you call America or wherever you call it. It's not this, this this five points, which is like nearly battled over for it over many years. It's not anything to the grand scheme of things to anyone else outside of it. It's just a piece of hand scrabble ground. So it's civilization being brought to bear and people being brought to heel uh, in a very, very real way. And I think as a film, I think that it does that very, very well with some reservations. And I think Andrew alluded to the kind of last act. And I'll we'll get to that at some point, which I would have some reservations about as well. But uh, I think it does it particularly well in terms of we see what they perceive as worth fighting for. And ultimately, it's all futile and all pointless and all male and violent and nonsensical in the way Scorsese films have men tend to be. Yeah. It is worth noting, actually, because you mentioned like that birth of a nation thing. It is very much as repeatedly described in countless reviews, both you know at the time and in retrospect, as Scorsese's take on a birth of a nation. I think A.O. Yeah, Scott described it. it as such. I think A.A. Dowd discussed it at the A.V. Club in those terms. I think the New York Times discussed it as well in a retrospective that compared it and the 25th hour as an example of post 9-11 cynicism creeping in as well. And it is it is interesting in that regard because it's... One of the things that I've read and one of the things that is is fascinating, I think, about American culture and about American history is that so much of modern American culture begins after the Civil War. The the end of the Civil War is generally treated as the starting point of America as we know it. So like things like the Klansman and the Birth of a Nation, for example, are all based in the aftermath of the Civil War and kind of Reconstruction and stuff like that. For, you know, John Ford's Westerns are largely set again in the aftermath of the Civil War. This mythology is kind of built around that. So it's fascinating that you have, you know, this movie, Gangs of New York, which takes us up to you know, a pivotal event in the Civil War, but is very much about that kind of furnace and the finding of American identity in the Civil War or during or in parallel with the Civil War, which is, is kind of fascinating and unsettling, I think. Yeah, I don't argue with that. And I think the kind of, the, 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 it's alluded to throughout the Civil War, the, 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 that extraordinary tracking shot of them coming off the boat 
being made a citizen, given a gun and sent on their way to go now go away for your country. And you see the coffins and you see the, the, the kind of pointlessness the life, of that. Basically yeah. the life cycle of an immigrant. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Which is yeah. remarkable. It is. It's a great shot. The dearth of um, Irish extras. Yes. Like, they, they, yeah, it's like they all got off and they, they all, I suppose they were at sea. They, they, um, but they, they, the fact that they, they couldn't kind of in, in New York, well, I suppose it's probably difficult to find actors um, to look as pale as, yes. as, 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 Irish, as, people. as Irish people. As, as Irish they, people. They got it off and they, there, there isn't just a very, I suppose they were probably casting around Rome for extras. Yes, it was well. Europe as well. So yeah, it was easier than going to the States for it. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not not a. I I don't know that the, the, the you know the, the the thing about like the, this, like the the movie the movie kind of the like uh, um, ends with kind of the, the, these are the hands that built America, um, and that seems kind of like it's making some sincere point about like like this is this uh, this is um, uh, somehow like uh, the genesis of what you have now. Like uh, n- nothing that happened in this movie mattered at all. Like the 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 the, the um, like it's this sort of weird the kind of myth making around kind of great things are are born through violence that we that we love in this country as well. No, I, I, in fairness to it, I think it it's kind of saying that like the American public like to think that America is this lovely kind of you know nation of you know the the democratic standard the. Uh, the world's leader and all that kind of stuff and i think it's saying that if, if you go back far enough you'll find genocide but if you get back to here you'll find murder and rampage and gangs everything america was always a mob country built on absolute lies and hypocrisy and i think that's kind of what it's saying here unfortunately you two song aside uh yeah because it's a badly it's a bad you lose half a star for it to be quite honest it's a bad song and a bad choice to finish a film on you you get a sense that that was one of Weinstein's big yes, pushes. Yes, I would have thought along, I, along, an Oscar. You get an Oscar song out of it, maybe. That's an Oscar nominated yeah. song out of it, along with, as we know, um, and again, we'll probably talk about these details later on. But things like Leonardo DiCaprio's voiceover was apparently also rumored to be a Weinstein element, and also things like the disfigurement of uh, DiCaprio at the climax, the fact that keeping his the scarring on his face minimal was apparently also something that Weinstein. I'm not surprised by any of that. Um, yeah, I mean, but, it was, uh, it was what, nothing in com- like it, it, it's disappointing how little kind of um, Amsterdam gets messed up because yeah. the, 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 in the context of like talking about cutting off ears and noses and stuff. Yeah, like if you compare it to um, like Howard Hughes, <laughs> 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 yeah, 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 like uh, he 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 gets a much uh, worse going over, you know, and it, this could have been. This could have been a Mel Gibson movie as well. That that was another of There's the. There's a lot of crucifixions. Yeah, yeah. Where where it was going to be, Mel Gibson being um, uh, uh, like tortured by Willem Dafoe. Yeah. So, um, which which and I feel like Mel would have insisted against Weinstein's kind of um, uh, the, that like you the you want the more yeah. torture yeah. rather than less. I think the, More but, uh, but I, the comparison for me with this in terms of other kind of media always comes back to Deadwood, which is, to my mind, yeah. uses language in similar ways 
and yeah. has hangings for the common good and it uh, shares that DNA <laughs> which you know let's yeah. hang how many three or four which is it three which or four, is it four. yeah <laughs> and it, like Deadwood does similar things and it's like you know for the good of society we must you know um, there must be a kind of everybody can every join there for everybody to enjoy so we can move on and be better people and be better citizens and you know we who doesn't love a good hanging um what? and, and you, you still see that in america with executions <laughs> still going on constantly uh well, i was gonna say to bring it back to um andrew's point there about the the idea that like nothing that happened in the movie mattered and nothing changed I want like watching it. I get the sense that's maybe the point of the exercise because what you get with Scorsese recycling history in in this film and kind of combining and you know colliding history into itself is you get a lot of a lot of iconography in the film that is that resonates beyond the specific context of the Civil War. So the emphasis on the draft and the idea that like rich people are excluded from the draft is very much a Vietnam image. And that sequence where the Union soldiers march down the street into the square and confront the, you know, the villagers and shoot on the crowd of civilians is also, again, very much a kind of a Vietnam image where you have like, you know, soldiers, the National Guard facing down peaceful protesters. Now, they didn't shoot. But, you know, again, that image in American popular consciousness as well. And even things like the elephant, the reason why Scorsese fought for the inclusion of the elephant in that sequence, even though the elephant happened several years earlier in New York when there was an unrelated fire at P.T. Barnum's sort of Museum of Oddities. Um, the reason why Scorsese wanted the elephant in the film was because it was something that he'd read about um, Berlin during the Allied bombing campaign or during the sort of the Russian invasion was the zoo was opened and all the wild animals were loose. And you have this idea of that representing kind of the end of civilization or the end of the breaking down of civil order. And I think that when I rewatch Gangs of New York, uh, particularly in recent years, I get this sense of the idea that this violence that people do is perpetual and it's kind of continuously coming back. It's never resolved. Like the, the closing monologue and you're Andrew's entirely right, by the way, that the, you know, U2 song, and I think Jay's right that it does cost the movie half a star, but it is very much kind of a, you know, the U2 song tries to paint this as a triumphant. These are the people who built modern America. When in fact, actually like Amsterdam's closing monologue is nobody really cares about Bill the Butcher or Priest Fallon and their graves end up overgrown and the, you know, the tombstones erode. And like in a, in a hundred years, it's as if those graves were never there, let alone those people were never there. And like that discussion that like Fallon, Priest Fallon has, the opening line of the movie is the blood stays on the blade. And the idea is that if you birth a nation through this violence and again that that metaphor but it doesn't and... like that none, none of this stuff had to happen for anything else that we have now like the the, the it it's it didn't have to happen but it did and everything inter- shaped by it no like no, 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 it's either remembered and it's influential or it had nothing to do with anything like they're all the fighting kind of amongst each other War, and killing each other that's important in societal terms. Detached from the, the 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 civil war, like they're trying to avoid being part of history, the entire it, movie. Is it though? Like, but they're they're still like again fighting on the basic idea that they are inherently superior to other people, to Irishmen, and the Irishmen are inherently superior to the black people. Oh, yeah, and, the and there's that, this like, this thing kind of like amongst, fear of amongst the Irish, where it's like, oh, you you you. Um, that you you, you have, have like you can't have African you yeah. can't have black people yeah. in your church. In a church. But then yeah. it is like, oh no, he he's he's looking after black people as well. But but they're not because like the end of the movie, every they, like 
it's 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 the most um, uh, uh, racist kind of pro-slavery kind of um, lynching, and it, it's it's universal and democratic. Like everybody is kind of behind it. Whereas this this it, it was supposedly some story about um, the um, the majority of the, the, the kind of um, uh, becoming a, a minority. Um, sorry, the, the minority becoming a majority, and the f- kind of fifteen thousand Irish coming in every every week, and all of these sorts of things. It's yeah, and, but it, and it, to, to, it, it's it's so um, bizarre because like no, none of the kind of um, argument or battle over kind of like oh is is are, are the nativists going to win or are the other nativists going to win, you know. The, the um it's like well um who cares but nobody leaves you know? Scorsese doesn't care and the film doesn't care because it, it, they, it ultimately did not even get to win because they don't even get to fight well it's, it's because so the world coaches for 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 a spiritual person to make such nihilistic movies because everybody in this movie is praying to the same god yeah but at the, even the differences yeah, I mean, I... are the spe- specific kind of praying is different even if it's all the same. And in the way that Scorsese will do a religious epic in Cundin or The Last Temptation of Christ or whatever, it's it all comes down to the same thing. But if by damned if you're not gonna fight about it regardless. Yeah, I, I tend to think that like again, that, that kind of cynicism is, you know, perhaps justified in some cases and well worn in some cases. But it's earned I mean, like, in America. Right, like, I think that's it's... that's it. Well yeah, right right now the United States is still legislating the outcome of the Civil War. It's still trying to figure out like what the hell that meant and what it means in context. There's still talk of reparations whether... for Christ's sake. I mean, you know, yeah, statues and stuff like that as well, and trying yeah. to figure out who the who the heroes of that particular story were and what the point of it was. Ask Americans, uh, you know, again those statistics you see where you ask Americans what the point of the Civil War was, and you know, less than half of them will identify slavery as a cause or as a primary cause. Uh, which again, you know, again the sense of kind of history being lost or whatever. But I do think that there is something there in the idea that this violence ends up repeating itself. The blood stays on the blade, basically. The idea that if a nation is born in this kind of fighting and this sort of violence and this sort of struggle and this sort of pointless... But it's, but it's born struggle, in genocide. It it's, it's born in genocide 200 years before that. Like. Yeah. In mass yeah. genocide oh, yeah. of people. Like, I mean, this is historically fact and this is how it continues yeah. and perpetuates itself. And still to this yeah, day. And you, it, it's really ineffective because it's just so confusing thematically. Because like, if it were going to make that point, it could have, but it doesn't. I so, probably would argue it does make that point, though. No, but they, I mean, they, they, nothing, nothing is built by these people. Like, if 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 you're going but to put in, like, makes that very clear, though. If you're if you're going if you're going to end the movie by saying kind of like, um, and nothing that you saw mattered, kind of, the, and <laughs> and and then say like, well, it's this story about how America was born, and it's like, no, it isn't. <laughs> but it is, though. Yeah. So, like, don't say that it isn't then. <laughs> Like mate, the, 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 that's the, the the people in and of themselves are ciphers for masses of immigrants that come to the country and shape. Of course, they all yeah. hate black people. They, uh, Irish people were there, and they <laughs> and then they took Irish people were immigrants got treated like whoopsie daisy. Up, treated more people like whoopsie daisy. So what? on and so forth. Like that, A perpetual state. The, there's exactly. an absolute, like one like, small moment. I'm not arguing that. I don't think that's quite cl- clear. Like what? there. 
yeah one of the one of the small moments i love in it is the bit where like when bill the butcher is reintroduced and one of the great reintroduction shots with the firework behind him and the yes. top hat as he's kind of walking to shot which is one of those great kind of like shots when the, when i think again of, of cinema or whatever like i think of daniel day lewis with that mustache and the top hat and the firework behind him but in that sequence you have him and mccloyne who used to be an irishman but is yes. now kind of assimilated the way, into bill do, the butcher's gang do any irish people pronounce them their their surname mccloyne like, or is that just an uh, like American? But it could be an American um, bastardized version of it, which has happened quite a lot with it. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I, you, and you, do we think that you guys would have lived to in us. Ireland? Like, for our American <laughs> listeners, have you ever met somebody with that surname who doesn't say McClone? I, I, I don't really know the surname to be honest in general terms yeah. one way or the other so but, I, I, but I any, any anyway anyway so you have you have the moment where they're kind of like they're they're yelling and you know it's like you think that you know black people are the same as white people or you know, you're saying there's no difference between white people and black people and Bill the Butcher casually says well in your case there really isn't and then you have McCloyne basically responding to that by acting out and randomly attacking a bunch of black people in order to assert that yes he is superior we are to them. step up um, yeah, I am above you. I, I, I have that. It's that, that idea that, again, that Martin Luther King thing where he's saying, you know, as long as you can look down your nose at somebody, you're fine. You know, as long as the poorest white person can look down his nose at a black person, then you have a social hierarchy. And a also, social you can, uh, that as can he pointed it, you know, as it's pointed out by Boss Tweed, you know, you can always hire one half to port to kill the other half. Well, that's it. Exactly. You have that happen at the climax with the riots and stuff like that. And I, I think that cynicism yeah, is, is part of either, But either, either it's a movie about kind of um, the downtrodden trying to kind of um, work their way out of that and build a build a world for themselves. And this idea of kind of the, because it, 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 it's at the start in the movie, kind of like how um, St. Saint Michael cast Satan out of paradise, that, that, that Satan was in paradise, but was uh, um, um, envious of all of these other, um, of man. Um, in 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 um, and the the way the way um, man had been privileged by God, and that that it was up to um, Saint Michael to cast Satan out. But it, who who in this movie is 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 Saint Michael and who is Satan? Seems like just everybody is Satan. That that uh, um, and and but everybody everybody is Satan, but everybody thinks they're Saint Michael. So that 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 just that just makes it a mess, though. It doesn't. I disagree, but I take the point. It doesn't seem that way to me. That everybody is everything, and well, not everybody's everything. That that's that's two different things, though. Everybody thinks they're the good guy in their in their own stories, and and not everybody can be. Like everybody thinks they have a sense of humor. Not everybody can have. It's like there's there's good guys and bad guys in relative terms, but in the context of at the point where this is told and the the point of the story is there's a savagery and a hierarchy and a a race to the bottom while you think you're climbing to the top. And the only way this is stopped is when it's decided from afar that enough is enough. And we will this is the way the world is gonna be from now on. But nothing's enough of what? Like, like, like the, 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 are we supposed to think that like the the thing that is enough is enough is um, is is Bill the butcher that he he is the worst person because he's one of, one of the more yeah. noble characters. In no, the he's movie. not. But the, 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 like, like, 
your boss Tweeds is probably the worst character in the movie, but he's, he does it with a pencil in the grand, grand scheme of things. He's probably worse person than Bill the Butcher in the context of how he makes the world work. But that's a, that's a politician, though. I, 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 don't, I don't think it works in terms of, like, like is there ever a sympathetic um, uh, Scorsese character? What, in any like, film? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, the 14th uh, Dalai Lama, sure, are they right? <laughs> but he's very much not a Scorsese character, though. Like, like the... I think um, Scorsese would like to believe that there's good people in the world, and I think his heart believes that, but his head knows better. And I think that push-pull is probably the key to a lot of Scorsese films. I mean, if 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 you're going to if you're going to make the point that that um, uh, the people and I I think Scorsese does feel that people are whoopsie Daisy. Um, then, I mean, I feel like, that way. <laughs> then. Yeah, then then um, I think DiCaprio is really good at that because he he he, he <laughs> well no like like he is and and not even just in Scorsese movies but he also always seems to play kind of like a monster and even when he even when he's not a monster even when he's I'd, a good guy I'd probably agree with that it's very difficult to kind of sympathize with her or, yes. or like he's like the, trying very hard I'd say there is as many people who kind of um, in in Titanic. Who didn't mind when 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 he drowned as as yeah. as, as minded when he drowned, um, which 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 is very strange. I mean, anyway, sorry. Um, so like he's perfect, what? I think, for for um, as a, a Scorsese protagonist. As a Scorsese protagonist, I would agree. I'd, I'd have to agree with that. I I I think that maybe again maybe we're moving on to the DiCaprio discussion now, but I do think that it is interesting, kind of what the film suggests. And I think in terms of where America's gone in the years since, obviously, America for Americans and so on and so forth. And the idea of the know-nothings, which was kind of the nativist party, which the real William Poole was very, very involved in, which obviously has huge kind of connotations in terms of contemporary American politics. I think Scorsese himself has gone on and compared Trump to Bill the Butcher, except Bill the Butcher actually seems to want to learn about things, uh, which would be the big difference between the two. And I think obviously it's become a point of reference in terms of talking about Trump has been talking well, about Bill the Butcher. it's the proverbial trait in the American flag, isn't it? Trump, uh, Trump wants to learn about things, though. Didn't didn't Xi Jinping like explain, um, the, you know, world uh, <laughs> politics to him at one point? Um, uh, yeah, he was yeah. a fast learner. He was the best or, learner. Or, or where yeah. he was like um, the, mo- the the time when he was saying, um, you know, um, I was so wrong about, about healthcare. It's actually very complicated. Anyway, um, what I find interesting about the film, uh, what I find interesting is this idea that runs through it where you have this idea of kind of like competing assimilation versus kind of identification where you have this idea that Bill the Butcher vanquishes Priest Fallon at the start of the movie. He kills Liam Neeson. And then basically you have all the Irish who are absorbed and kind of assimilated in. So you have McLean, for example, but you have Harry who becomes a kind of police officer as well and a corrupt police officer at that. And you have this idea that when that happens, when they give up their identity, nothing good happens. There's no real advancement. Like McCloyne is just a glorified henchman, for example. He's yeah. not really allowed to be himself. And you have this idea with the character Amsterdam himself, where Amsterdam initially is only interested in Bill the Butcher for vengeance for himself. And then you have the idea that actually Amsterdam through the character of Monk, again, priest and monk, not exactly subtle there, 
but dies and is reborn after three weeks instead of three days, but close enough, comes out of the cave um, and also preaches this idea of giving the Irish a collective identity or giving the Irish kind of a collective sense of self outside of the natives. It's an uh, army. To a certain extent. Yeah, that's it. It's an army. But like you have this thing where Tweed says no man alive has ever been able to marshal the Irish vote. And the response is, well, actually, if you can do that, you can, in theory, accomplish things. Now, again, you get Monk elected sheriff and he gets brutally murdered. But you could argue that that contributes to the like, toppling a Bill the Butcher or whatever. But you have this idea that when these groups come together and acknowledge themselves as a distinct cultural entity, then they have strength, then they have power. And I think the fact that, you know, Tweed realizes this when he's talking about them, you know, uh, you see Irish people coming off the boats, I see voters coming off the boats. But the idea that if you can harness those, that can give you power, which I think is kind of interesting. And the interesting perhaps. thing with uh, Tweed at the end as well, like, you know, he's standing there holding his, his handkerchief saying, we've lost a good lot of voters down here tonight standing over the open grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is a remarkably like, monstrous <laughs> thing to say, even by his standards throughout the film. Yeah. <laughs> It's down at the Docklands with soup with soup and bread tomorrow. He's the worst person um, in the film. He's the most evil person in the film. And played by Jim Broadbent, uh, which is remarkable. <laughs> it's a remarkable sleight of hand uh, as a yeah. as a performance tip. Bad casting. I I disagree. I really? Think, really? I, it's I perfect. Think it's I think he, he has that oiliness of in terms of like if if <laughs> if, if you were going to go very him. on the nose, like yeah, 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 for he sure. would go for a Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. But, yeah, but he, yeah. <laughs> But he's so slippery. He's so uh, absolute without uh, moral center. Uh, it's a remarkable performance. I really do think it is. It's in the same kind of casting vein as John C. Riley. Yes. <laughs> um, Poor John C. Riley. Great as like. Uh, it becomes a cop and loses the soul. Villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bringing the scammer horns around the five points. He put his watch on the thing. Yeah. But and then and the payoff of him being like crucified on it with his watch dangling from it, which is lovely as well. Um, and again, like, but but the thing is that you have this idea, and again, you have Monk articulating it, where Monk talks about how you know his father was killed in Ireland, you know, in the streets fighting, you know, for those who would take as their privilege what could only be gotten held what? by the decimation of a race. What? And you have the idea. That... What 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 is he talking about? By the way, they they, they he he says like this is one thousand years old. His fight, and and uh, and it was waiting for us. And more, like, yeah, and more, yeah. and more. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what? What? What exact conflict is he referring to? An existential one. The idea of human struggle. The idea of kind of like the idea that humans are fundamentally always at war with themselves. That uh, almost Hobbesian view of humanity, perhaps. I always thought it was an English thing that we are perpetually uh, the Irish. But, but a thousand are... years. No, I I, a thousand years and but you're, you're into myth making there as well, Darren. I think. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, thousand, yeah. Like, but people arrived in Ireland and kind of there was no great kind of um, uh, desire for many other people to go. No, there. no, no, not at all. It's <laughs> like just, it, was, it was kind of. Like I, think, the, I think once you go once you go to America, there's a how you see Ireland is very different, and you see it with the, the three or four generations of Americans and stuff talking about Ireland like it and you listen to them and you have no idea what they're talking about it's like 10,000 years of struggle against the Brits that's your monk moment yeah long time ago <laughs> since the dinosaurs we've been away. fighting the Brits <laughs> on T-Rex yeah. on horseback <laughs> yeah I can, ima- I can imagine that's a film we'd watch 
I can imagine like a, a, the T Rex is voiced by Charles Dance. <laughs> of course, of course. He yeah. is. <laughs> Actually, lads, are we writing a script here? This sounds like a, this. 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 This sounds like it has to happen, right? Get it to Charles yeah. Dance's agent immediately before he dies. <laughs> Have you seen the beach photos of Charles Dance? Sorry, this is a bit of a swerve, but he okay. is for a seventy-year-old. For a seventy-year-old, yeah, for a seventy-year-old man, he's in pretty top-notch condition. I have to say. Fair enough. I'll take your word. I'll All check right. it out after. Put it in the show we'll notes. In, in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> we put these, these pictures in... of swole Charles Dance. Look, look, look for these photos in your incognito tab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is your internet ready to handle it? But I, I do I do find it interesting how you have this idea kind of like, and it, Scorsese, it's interesting that like this happened and, you know, 9-11 happened. And, you know, so that's sort of Scorsese was working on this before 9-11. One of the projects that he worked on uh, between 9-11 and the release of this was for the Concert of New York, uh, which is perhaps an artifact that has not aged especially well in some aspects. It's very much a snapshot of a moment. But Scorsese's documentary, The Neighborhood, is well worth a watch, in large part because you can kind of see, I think, what he's getting at here, where he goes to what was the Italian-American neighborhood where he grew up. And he kind of sees there that it's now become a Chinese-American neighborhood. But there's this one little Italian-American cheese shop on the corner, which is kind of amazing. And he goes in and the, the, like the owner still remembers what he used to serve Marty's mother. You know, what he used to make the cheese that he would have ready for her every Friday when she come into the shop. But you have Scorsese talking about this idea that, you know, as a kid, when he grew up in this Italian-American neighborhood, discovering that the Irish had been there before him. And again, this kind of thing gets at what Andrew was saying, this idea that nothing that happens in this movie matters in inverted commas, that nothing any of the characters do makes any lasting impact. Yeah, they, they didn't Scorsese, even leave, leave a cheese shop. <laughs> yeah, there's no Irish cheese shop on the corner of, of Chinatown in New York now. But Scorsese talked about as a kid finding it really strange that he would hear that the Irish were there but see absolutely no trace of them. Like he'd be wandering around the neighborhood and it would be all Italian now and there'd be no evidence that there'd been anybody there but Italians. But his you know, father and the older generations would recall being there when the Irish were there and things like that and finding it very strange and very odd. But I, I like the idea that runs through the film of this idea of kind of like merging and blending cultures while retaining their own identity, almost kind of anthropological aspect of it. So things like, you know, the sequence where Bill looks when, when Bill's been shot and he looks at the African-American doing the Irish dance and he talks about the, the rhythms of the dark continent thrown into the kettle with an Irish shindig. And you have this idea that, you know, only in America, that's the ideal of America right there is the idea that you can have these kind of cultural elements that are not completely lost and not completely erased like Bill wants them to be. But they can be distinct, they can be unique and they can kind of stand out. And so you can end up with an Italian cheese shop in the corner of Chinatown and it not make any sense for it to be there. But that being something that lasts and something that's beautiful and something that's clever. And I quite like the idea that, you know, although nothing in this movie does last, although, you know, Prince, you know, uh, sorry, Priest Fallon's, you know, Irish gang doesn't last and Bill the Butcher's no nothings don't last, that audiences watching this know that, you know, those little weird juxtapositions like the African man dan or the African American dancing the jig, that's going to be what lasts. Like that's going to be the part of America that. And enjoys. funny so enough, you see that in Ireland with a uh, young, uh, young black women doing Irish dancing and stuff. Actually, which, yeah. is, which is remarkable kind of uh, dexterity and skill and assimilation and really interesting ways of expressing something that's very historical and are, and really interesting yeah. and kind of stretching it as a concept. Yeah, yeah, and and finding ways to make something new instead of something old instead of trying again because that that's the thing that 
that's the thing that runs through the film is this idea that you carry something with you where Monk talks about like getting off the boats and discovering that like the same existential battle that had been facing him, you know, in Ireland was now waiting for him in New York or the idea that Bill the Butcher himself is still just recreating or refighting the battle that his father died fighting, for example, that sort of stuff. And I like the idea that, you know, at the end, you know, the graves are left there and the graves erode and disappear. But at least Amsterdam and Jenny get to, like, leave and walk and go away, presumably, at the end of it. They get to move on. Because I have to say, kind of I, I like um, the Amsterdam and Jenny arc a lot more than I did when I saw it first. And it, because it's a relationship born out of trauma, essentially. Um, with their, like, their histories are just in that way that uh immigrant histories are, are is horrible like jenny has said at one point yeah. there was a baby they took it out and it was cut and out it's of a her. simple yeah, it and that, that, like that's it no no nonsense no that's not the way it was then and this is this relationship is violent it's it's a little terrifying it's a little awful they can't trust themselves never mind each other it, it's a, just a really really caustic brutal uh you know, just aim lashing out in every direction because you can't face yourself. I think a lot of it, and it really interests me watching it over, like after watching it a few times. Yeah, the, yeah that's, one... that's the kind of DiCaprio, um, like kind of Dynamic. thing. Yeah, in yes. a, a, especially like in a like you you you. Um, it's funny it's that he was like this. Yeah, Wolf Wall Street. Rock. Kind of in 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 the nineties because he always yes. plays this kind of like uh, really creepy, really sort of yeah. like vaguely uncomfortable romantic dynamic. Like in a, in a yeah, not not just wonderful Wall Street, but like the Departed, the Departed yeah. with Vera Farmiga, yeah, like a re- even really Shutter Island, kind of, um, yes. broken kind of um, uh, sort of liability, you know. Yeah, and, and getting involved with him, even though he is handsome and a heartthrob, is going to cost you in the long term, probably. Um, it's not going to end happily, or you can't imagine it ending happily, except it kind of does here. He's not, he's not, he's, he's not heartthrobby in this, is he, at all? He kind of looks like... Whoopsie-daisy! ...the whole film. Even, even taking take it at points that, like, even he doesn't get quite the beaten or the face, the disfigurement that he probably should have. And if that's a Weinstein, fair enough, but... It looks like Oopsie Daisy. Like it looks, it looks rough. It's not. You're not selling this as a DiCaprio Titanic film. Everyone at any point, like, Oopsie Daisy. Yeah, you do, but that, <laughs> and it suits for the film. But I'm saying you're not. It, you're not selling a DiCaprio film in that way. And the wine scenes, obviously, he wanted that. With the yeah, exception I, I think... of America's granddad, Martin Scorsese, who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looks great, <laughs> magnificent <laughs> <button> <laughs> chops uh, in it. <laughs> He looks yeah. so gorgeous. He does. <laughs> he, he really does. He, well, he probably died during he, the uh, ending, but still. <laughs> <laughs> brutally, brutally murdered by his own characters. Well, famously, he he only, he, he Scorsese, and this will surprise Andrew not a whit, Scorsese had originally wanted to give himself a cameo in the five points because he felt like he belonged there. No. Uh, but he only, he only, I know, what a shocker, what a surprise. The reason why the reason why he put himself um, in the fancy house was because he wanted to include, I think, his daughter Francesca in the cameo as well. So she's the baby, um, and because Marty's had too comfortable baby... a life, to be honest, to be to be <laughs> pretending he's still in the five points. Stop it, Marty! You're a multi-millionaire for Christ's sake. <laughs> Live adjacent um, to Wall Street for the love of God. Except your face. Yeah, if you. 
if you could if you could put seven million dollars into your overrunning yeah, sort you're of probably like okay movie, you, you, you don't probably... belong in the five points marty i'm sorry yeah, i love not you not necessarily you convincing <laughs> in that context but in terms of leo actually just to just to bring it back i am not necessarily overly fond of dicaprio in this film i think dicaprio's relationship with scorsese is interesting in large part because what andrew said about the two of them which is that like dicaprio although he was this teenage heartthrob in the 90s always has this kind of and again the adjective sticky but this kind of like sweaty desperation to him yeah. where dicaprio constant and again you know you you it's almost something that plays out when you read the press about him where dicaprio desperately wants to be taken seriously as an actor yeah. he's worried that you looking at the screen will not think that he's acting or won't think that he's good enough that's why the whole is he going to kill himself to get an oscar campaign but in fairness he, on- he won his oscar for most acting anyway so you know yeah that, that's it exactly the highest volume the highest intensity there's always I, this kind of energy he ran a horse like, off a hill in that film precisely so he could climb into it with an Oscar. I bet you that scene wasn't even in the original. Whoopsie daisy! <laughs> yeah, it gets a little note back and Yurto yeah. gets a note this back from DiCaprio saying, I, I have some suggestions. This is it. Uh, this can is I cl- yeah. yeah. I like your idea, but what if? Um, but again, <laughs> How about- like, but DiCaprio has this kind of frantic energy, which I think works very well with uh, Scorsese, but I'm not sure works here because I, I think, I'm not sure He's uncomfortable extent, here. Uh, that's, that's it exactly, yeah. I'm not sure whether or not, like, how much the movie expects us to, like, see Amsterdam as being skeevy or creepy or kind of, like, vaguely uncomfortable. And how much it relies on him. Like, would this be a better movie if Ray Liotta played the role, for example? Like, to bring the discussion no, back it to wouldn't. Goodfellas. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it would. Even think, with the voiceover? Not Liotta, but Even maybe somebody else. But, no. Well, maybe. But I can, oh, I can understand why DiCaprio is there. Fair, but, fair point. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Okay, maybe like Ray Liotta transported from 1990. Then like, I don't. I, in time. I don't think Liotta would work, but I don't think I. I, I fully accepted the Caprio take. I. I quite like him, and I, I've softened on the performance over the years. I actually maybe I've softened over the accent more than the performance, but <laughs> it, it's an uncomfortable performance, and he was still finding his legs in Scorsese terms. I think at this point. Well, this uh, was his first film with Scorsese. Yeah, like he, like I think he, what he's expecting from him. Yeah, I think it's probably his worst performance for him. I might have liked an Edward Norton or an Ethan Hawke. Would would that have been crazy? I could see an um, Ethan Hawke. I could. Yeah, I could actually see an Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I think that's a good gaff there. Actually, yeah, I could live with that. I think. Um, I think Hawke's probably a better actor in a lot of ways, in different ways, like. Yeah, because we sort of. Um, so I feel like Ethan Hawke is is capable of being, um, in 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 the way actually that Daniel Day Dan, Daniel Day Lewis is the uh, villain in this, and is a very good villain in the sense that he's kind of um, uh, oddly sympathetic, whereas yeah. like it feels like um, DiCaprio is quite a bad lead because I think he should one, be sympathetic you're, when he's you're not men, yeah he's meant to be yeah. sympathetic I'd, I'd probably agree with that yeah so that, but like, I, think, I do think he's uncomfortable role. I think Day Lewis is very big in the role he's very good yes. at he's so good. but Jesus and, he's a large presence in the film like to say and he's so he's so hilarious yeah as yeah. well he's so 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 funny like the 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 <laughs> The moments with like John C. Riley, where yeah. he's like, oh, with um, the rabbit, where he's like, my, my first, my first priority has to be the law. 
It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What in heaven's name are you talking about? I, 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 I did laugh out loud. And then, Whoopsie daisy! <laughs> the moment just after that, where yeah. he's like, uh, crying he's like the, in the tears. Big... Yeah. The person yeah. responsible <laughs> for murdering this poor you, little you, creature. <laughs> <laughs> And help yourself to a good, good, a good cut of the other way, way out as well. <laughs> no, no, he, he is, is. He's good. He, like, I, I can't argue. You needed that to kind of anchor the film in a lot of ways because it's grandiose and it's big and it's boisterous. I, I've less and less time for those kind of performances as I get older. As fun as it is, the, the method acting, big, big, okay. big performances. Like it's fine and it works in this film, but in general terms, I kind of you know uh, get a bit tired of it. Like, but it is a bit cartoony. I think the whole film is. is a bit cartoony. No, it is. Like it the is. Film with, with its heavy saturations of like red and blues yes. and stuff like that, in case you don't get that, it's about America. Yeah. I know, it's um, very and, well, sort of like, and it does work in that regard. Like, there's a moment where like moment where Bill the Butcher is introduced riding through red tinted steam yeah. on a fire engine like a demon from hell he keeps like a little puppet of the devil yeah. hanging outside his door in case you don't get that he's meant Here, to be the bad guy is the, is the whole thing about the fire and fire engines and the municipal police the best bit of the film in lots of ways isn't it low-key incredible they kind of uh, the bizarre kind of machinations of public uh, kind of service and stuff <laughs> just hysterically all based, funny to me. all based on actual true stories again like, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is why sure. it's gangs of new york so, like this is what the book gangs of new york was about little details like yeah, that the that you know the municipal the police station the world, and like, metropolitan yeah yeah, yeah. It's and, and which, of them is, which of them has jurisdiction and little things like that sequence where eddie marston pops the barrel over the fire hydrant yes which is exactly what they would do to hide yes. the fire hydrant yeah, yeah. um so that like only one of them could use the it the small mindedness of it is really impressive yeah. that is it yeah, because again, then the reason for that was that fires were obviously a huge threat yes. to, to New York City because obviously the, the houses were so close together. So a fire could potentially demolish the entire city. So you wanted as many fire brigades as possible. So you let them develop and let them do their thing without any regulation. How much I go for it, though, say, leave the house, move on to the next one. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. stop it from spreading. They did the moment where he gives her the card. Well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They did care. brawl, yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And like again, it's it's worth noting again in terms of the explosion of New York. By the early eighteen hundreds, uh, New York had only reached as far north as Wall Street, but by eighteen thirty, it had reached Greenwich Greenwich Village. And between eighteen thirty and eighteen fifty five, the population of the five points had nearly doubled, uh, which is outstanding. And by that point, I think first generation immigrants had accounted for seventy two percent of the the area's population, which is yes. outstanding. Can uh, can uh, we we've spoken about kind of how unlikable. Um... Well, I, maybe maybe I've spoke about how unlikable or unsympathetic um, Leonardo DiCaprio is, and how like like for me that that kind of is is a sort of a problem with the movie. But we 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 really have to give credit to to Henry Thomas because like no matter what what he's in, um, he like as a real knack for for being like the most pathetic character like, yes like when when he really when, really really is in this or in 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 like um legends of the fall yeah <laughs> like where yeah yeah, yeah where the, the, well, um, he, play, he plays jack torrance in, in dr sleep the sequel to the shining like oh, yeah, second hand jack nicholson second hand jack nicholson <laughs> is what he plays oh god yeah it's it's it, it's like um it's a long way from ET. 
Yeah, the, the, there's a moment where she's like, oh, I don't want Johnny, I want you. And it's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, even <laughs> as bad as Leonardo DiCaprio is. Like, on, what, like, what? He's, he's still better than Johnny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's terrible. Johnny is not a prim-looking stargazer. No. Uh, um, By the way, just... a stargazer is a prostitute. <laughs> like, uh, um, I thought that was a, a, a nice little thing. <laughs> I think uh, it was meant uh, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I I look, looked it up, and yeah, the stargazer was a prostitute. Um, so yeah. In the context of Johnny, is it worth mentioning again the really heavy because this is a Scorsese theme, the sort of Scorsese movie, Catholic themes of this particular. Oh yeah, film. The, the betrayal. Yeah, it's like the betrayal, the Judas, yeah, and like yeah. he betrays him and he's killed, and then afterwards Johnny himself dies and stuff like that. And you have the idea of like DiCaprio, even with his little sort of like, you know, sort of like scruffy little beard and long hair, he becomes almost kind of Jesus-like, yeah. risen from the dead. He reunites his people in a church and stuff like that. So you have he this... Raises up. Oh, he, he raises them up as well. You have this like very, like not at all subtle idea of kind of religion that plays through the film as well. But we well, did say that, very... though. It is a big film, and I think there are big themes yeah. writ large. And it works for the film and the, the tone of it that it's playing. I well, it's, it's going for um, mythic. It's going for yeah, grand and mythic. And I, and I think going, there, but anyway, sorry. Back to the crucifixion of, 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 of Johnny. I love how everyone helps kill him. Yeah. <laughs> like, Everybody uh, in the movie kind of tags through. Gets gets in on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, yeah. I'll, Here, here's I'll, the gun. I'll, I'll pull him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, the gun. It takes a like, Let's get into oh, a little more blood force before we shoot him. <laughs> Yeah, I'll build. It takes a village like, to kill a child star, it seems. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, all oh, they'll do the rest. It's Johnny, for Christ's sake. Like, people will be queuing up to do this. Yeah. He's had it coming for being just moping around the place for years. He's rubbish. We hate him. Actually, I, I do think it's worth mentioning, though, uh, something Andrew alluded to earlier um, about the, uh, the finale. I, I find the, the kind of the draft riots shoehorned in. And it's a it's a bit of a messy final act. Uh, it doesn't. I don't know how Scorsese felt he could get it all to knit, but I don't think he's successful in it for the most part. It's it's like in uh, it's like a couple of things. It, it's like in Monty Python where the police break up like the end of a sketch. This is very silly. It's gone on long enough. Or, or it's like the end of Blazing Saddles. Uh, I, 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 I don't find it that bad, but I take the point, though. I do. But I, I do think it's shoehorned in in ways that doesn't quite work. As much as I like seeing rich people being killed on Wall Street, and I do. Um, <laughs> don't, don't in case listeners had any doubts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, but I, I do think it's messily edited, funnily enough. And in comparison to the rest of the film, I don't think it quite works. It quite fits. It feels like it's becoming this kind of like um, this 99% movie, you know, where, where it's... The like Dark Knight Rises kind of moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then it's like kind of, um, oh, we've killed all of the rich people. Now kill the real problem. And, and they, like, um, they start killing black people. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like... Sorry, what what's going on? What, what um... but, it, but it's not it's not clear true. It's not it's not. I, I okay, I I got that. I thought it was it's basically the resentment of kind of the idea that the, they're blaming black people for having to fight the civil war and for the draft that. Is, yeah, no, no, that's fine. That. But it it's it's messy. It it's I think it's messy that whole section. I will agree with that. I have to say, and it does pull out a film. 
What I do find interesting, and again, this gets back into the edit, and again, uh, Thelma Schoonmacher, um, the regular editor on a Scorsese film, one of the things that I actually quite like is that repeatedly throughout the film, you will end up cross-cutting between the obviously fictional story of kind of the Oedipus kind of story with Amsterdam and Bill the Butcher and stuff like that, and then like actual kind of like context of historical events. So things like, say, Boss Tweed talking about how the, the, the appearance of the law must be upheld especially when it's being broken and yeah. things like that or even even or even the discussions uh with say Horace Greeley and kind of the the Schirmerhorn family which is again I think cut against the the sequence where Amsterdam goes down to the cave and gets the knife as well so you have this idea of kind of like the the myth of America and the history of America kind of intermingling and I, th- I think you're right that it doesn't work perfectly um it's not it doesn't fit as neatly as it should. In fact, some of the cross-cutting feels rather awkward, and I suspect that might be down to the fact that uh, this used to be a three-and-a-half-hour movie, and it's been yes. condensed down. Oh, no, I agree. I think it's one of those rare films that could probably would probably improve if we given an extra 20 minutes, which is uh, like a, a breathing a, room. Like <laughs> it does, it, the last the last 40 minutes needs a, a little extra to breathe, I think, to make it work. Yeah. Or maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe it still it'd still be all over the shop. Definitely things he could have cut out. Like that... The, the, there were like several gross, uh, disgusting love scenes between like um, uh, Amsterdam Cameron and Diaz Jenny and, and... that were yeah that 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 you could have removed. In fact, the whole uh, romantic uh, plot altogether, like could 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 be taken out of this movie. I I, 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 I know there's something like that Weinstein okay wanted um, uh, Cameron Diaz. I think it was it was going to be somebody yeah. of kind of um, Scorsese's choosing. But, um, yeah, but I like Diaz. Sarah Michelle Geller was in consideration. Sarah Michelle Geller, yeah, she was the, Buffy. the first. Yeah, that'd have been amazing. I do like the I, I do like Diaz in it though. I have to say, I do. I and I, I and it's taken me years to kind of come around to her in the role. I think it's a bit of a thankless role, and yes, I think she does very well in the considering what she gets. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a lot there for her, but I think she puts a lot into it. And I, and I like her. I've kind of warmed to the, her performance in it as the years have gone by, I have to say. Yeah, I do want... If you took her out, there would literally be the only other woman in the film would be Hellcat Maggie, right? Yeah, who I also much. quite like, I have to say. <laughs> Based on a real... On yes. three real criminals, yes. by the way, actually, which is remarkable. Um, she did actually file her teeth down to sharp fangs yeah. and have met I, I would watch a Hellcat Maggie uh, I, film in a heartbeat. I, in a I don't know if she could throw herself around like an X-Man, but, uh, you know, let's just say that history is let's a bit say she can. that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the sequence where they're fighting in this, in like yeah, in the yeah, smoke yeah. and kind of Bill the Butcher just kind of does this zip, zip kind of yeah. thing by him. Again, like, like, like a butcher, but also like an X-Man, basically. Yeah. Um, you you wonder if like Martin Scorsese was sitting there before he learned that Marvel movies are terrible, going, "Hey, this X Men movie is pretty good. If only I could fold some of this into my Gangs of New York epic." He didn't see um, an X Men movie before this, which is <laughs> Marty was watching Fellini films for God's sake. Yeah, it was two thousand and one, wasn't it? The um, the kind of first um, Hugh Jackman kind of. Uh, I it was two thousand, I think. It, it was two thousand. Oh. But this film was probably filming for about five. Years. No, this, this film was filming for about five years. Forty years. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it was. 
it was back at the at the point where they were just going to film it in New York. <laughs> they would have got a, gotten across like how whoopsie daisy everything was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then New York <laughs> aged out of the role, unfortunately. Um, yeah. They had to do some recasting. It outgrew it. Um, I do love, by the way, when you're reading Scorsese on Scorsese and they're interviewing him, it's great when he mentions like, oh, uh, like Richard Schickel or whoever will say, I love the opening battle sequence, the, the opening battle scene. It's amazing. And Scorsese will say, yeah, we shot that in like uh, January 2001. That was the first time we ran out of money. And it's like, oh, it was that kind of production. It's a remarkable, se- the opening sequence is incredible, actually, and it's worth talking yeah. about. Uh, that kind of, that long walk up in from wherever it is, it looks like from the bells of hell up to... That's exactly, uh, from like from the underground. Yeah, like emerging and, and from the unconscious. To the point the where uh, Monk kicks the door open and the camera shoots through it. It's a beautiful sequence. Yeah. It really, really is. Yeah. It's the, the yeah. brewery tenements that kind of would have been there back in... in 1846 but that wasn't didn't exist anymore in the like yes. 1863 kind of but it works very well for the film though i have to say yeah 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 and again you again you have that kind of like mythic quality to it where they're in the caves underground and they yeah. kind of come out and you've got this train of movement and things and even then in the background you can see that like prince you know so the priest fallon's group includes like african-americans who are doing irish dancing as well it's kind of like a juxtaposition yeah. with kind of nativists as well and even little things like again at, at the climax of the movie as well you have this very conscious quoting of like gone with the wind in the sequence where jenny is kind of wandering through the wreckage after the horrible attack yes. and you have the camera doing that wonderful crane shot that's almost like something from gone with the wind yeah except of course because it's scorsese there's more blood than people yeah um statistically speaking but it is it's kind of breathtaking and it's very clear what scorsese is kind of referencing there i think which is is quite nice as well because you do have this this sense that runs through it of the idea that this sort of violence is is meaningless and empty and hollow and and kind of like is is yeah the the thing that feels more meaningful is um is bill butcher and uh priest fallon's sort of Oshin and Ferdia sort of uh, uh, love story. Yeah, you know, the 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 you you do imagine them kind of like f- f- um, fighting kind of all day and then sleeping at the, in the same tent at night, <laughs> kind of healing each other's wounds and kind of applying, um, you know. Um, this this was a great man. Penetration was the only way that their relationship could have ended, Andrew. I think. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it, it, it's uh-huh. so it's so kind of tender um, yeah. from um, Bill's perspective. Yeah, and they, they, he he will never he will never marry. Like, <laughs> I will never I never let myself have another nemesis. Yeah, I have yeah, an opponent, yeah. an adversary, but I will never have another nemesis. Exactly. Um, the, the the it's um, it's very it's. It, it's it's very touching kind of how how much um he stays uh with True. him more more than for his son because like yeah. his 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 son kind of um sort of forgets that he's meant to kill um uh bill, <laughs> bill, for bill, bill, bill the butcher but he does point of, out um, he's it's very warm under the wing of a dragon uh, yeah but then he's like not the face son- <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll get you what for you... this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get you get one of those great. Uh, I need that for acting and heart throbbing. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you, is this here? Quick question for you guys, as Leonardo DiCaprio scholars, is this the first time we get a God Jesus no from from DiCaprio? 
Um, which is one of like DiCaprio's patented like I'm in stress moments. He does it in Inception. He does it in Shutter Island. This is, I think, the earliest one of his that I've noticed, where it's like this very kind of like mumble scream thing. Does he do he that does. in Wolf Wall Street as well? When she gets, gets water thrown at him as well. There's a bit of that as well. Uh, yeah, God, yeah. Jesus, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, probably. It's probably yeah. the prototype. Uh... <laughs> sort of moment. That moment where he realized, I've got it. This is my thing. Exactly. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, this, I'm acting really, really hard now. But yeah, I, again, I kind of I like that kind of mythic quality to it. There's the, the son looking for a father and the father looking for a son um, sort of thing that you have going on with the pair of them. And I think that, yeah, I think, you know, DiCaprio is maybe not as good here. Uh, he's certainly not as big, but I don't think he's even as good here. Um, as, 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 sorry, um, as, damn it, I've forgotten his name. Bill the Butcher. Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, he's better in pretty much every other Scorsese film he's in. Uh, yes, yes, he is, than here. Um, yeah, he's, he's, uncomfortable. Do, he's not, he's uncomfortable in his role. It's a, it's a stretch yeah. for him, like. Like, it, it's almost more interesting to watch Bill the Butcher process the inevitability of the betrayal than it is to watch the betrayal itself. Like, that sequence in the in the Padoga where Bill's kind of going through it with Jenny and you can see him Whoopsie kind of, like, daisy. figuring out... Yeah, which, again, is an improv from it him, is, apparently. Great. That was an it's improv really from, uh, yeah, from Day-Lewis, which is striking. By the way, fun fact, to get into character, uh, Day-Lewis apparently listened to Eminem every morning yeah. on the set. The uh, way, which the I way, absolutely... This kind of annoys me. This is what I hate about meta acting. This is bullshit. Whoopsie daisy! Just the way act. I am. I think, like, like, I feel like the way he put it was that, like, he listened to it more than normal. <laughs> so, like, of course he did. Um, <laughs> that, uh, that, oh, Daniel, you card. That Daniel Day Lewis is always playing like some M&M. oh, it, <laughs> but, gets, uh, it gets better. Well, there's we have we have an interview with Rolling Stone from him from 2003 talking about the movie, and it's great because the the interviewer says, "Okay, I've got to go talk to Snoop Dogg in about half an hour," and Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> says, "Oh, send on my love. I'm a big fan. He won't know who I am, but I'm a big fan." Um, which is kind of amazing. I remember um, Darren actually at the time this came out. And I don't know, I've never really looked it up as a verified thing, and I suspect it wasn't, and it was denied. But DiCaprio was reportedly saying at one point that the film was un- unreleasable. There was some rumour, there was some rumour that it would never there? actually be released. This is, was, and, and actually leaked to an Irish website, an yes. Irish gossip website, which is ironic. Like, who's leaking gossip about the new Martin Scorsese movie to an Irish website? In 2001 or whatever. A young ponytail yeah. goatee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> movie guru waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, like the, the situation was that like they wanted to take it to Cannes in 2002, apparently was the plan. And Scorsese could only get together 20 minutes of footage for Cannes in March or sorry, in May they probably would have 2002. Taken it. No, they did take it. They yeah, actually screened it as a special event, the 20 minutes of footage from this movie. And so there was a lot of gossip about the idea that the rest of it was either unsalvageable, unreleasable, or needed more money in order to get done yeah. on time. Yeah. So there was definitely rumors that this, like there was definitely rumors that this movie that had been shot and, and allegedly by, you know, Weinstein's account, finished was never actually going to be released up until the moment that it was actually released which is again it was like the new mutants of like 20 uh, yes, you know, like 2002 yeah. basically but um, nobody it happened it, it went like it was ongoing saga at the time i yeah. recall it vividly and there were all sorts of like discussions about what was happening on set was dicaprio angry with scorsese yeah, that, that was, was dicaprio angry yeah was dicaprio angry with day lewis for example and things like that 
This was, I think, Day-Lewis's return to acting after a five-year hiatus. He'd taken a five-year break and apparently had to be tucked into coming back to take this role. But isn't that him, always is... the way with Daniel? For God's sake. <laughs> you have to have a courtship of him, basically. Just do the film. Um... Will you just do the film or don't do the film? Stop <laughs> your nonsense. Like... <laughs> uh, he would lose uh, Best Actor to Adrian Brody for The Pianist. Interestingly Stop. enough, in, in context of... Uh, in context of what Daniel Day-Lewis was listening to on set, oh, the original song for this would lose to Lose Yourself from Eminem. Good. So I think Day-Lewis might have been happy with that. Lose Yourself is a Wilds better song. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. And, and I mean, nothing on, the Hamilton, nothing on the Hamilton soundtrack was heavily influenced by uh, you know, the hands that built America. I'd say Scorsese probably liked Lose Yourself as well because he loved he would, his yeah. mom's spaghetti. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It is worth noting that, like, as it stands, Gangs of New York is one of only three movies to get more than 10 nominations without a win. The only movie to get uh, 10 or more Oscar nominations without a win. Gangs of New York, The Color Purple, and The Turning Point. What the hell is The Turning Point? I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, obviously it made quite a cultural impression uh, based on that. But yeah. So, Oh, it was a 1977... Uh, revitalized the fad for ballet and dance films starring Shirley MacLaine and Anne Bancroft released the same year as Annie Hall and Star Wars which is probably why I, I kind of want to see that, that now Shirley MacLaine and Anne yeah. Bancroft I'm in uh, inaugurated uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov's pop culture career as a film star oh maybe not <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't oh, sorry, sorry, sorry what was the name of that movie The Turning, the turning Point, point. Oh no! There, right, there Darren, that's, your, that's now your film for the wild card. <laughs> that's not my wild card Scorsese <laughs> film. Is it even a Scorsese yes, film? Yes, that's the <laughs> ultimate wild card. Uh, but yes, the only other film to get one of only two other films to get ten or more nominations without a win, which is, is quite. Remarkable. I, I, they gave it to Scorsese. They gave the nominations to Gangs of New York, not because they liked the film, and they clearly didn't. It's yeah. because the Weinstein spent a fortune and bullied their way into it. Yeah, so the reward was the nominations, do. and there was never going to be the wins. Like. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, up until like three or four years ago, Weinstein was taking credit for revitalizing Scorsese's career oh, um, with it, with it, with this movie, saying. Well, and ho- to be I fair, hope I hope he's telling people in cell block H all this now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sitting around telling those stories. Hey, that but, uh, yeah, talk- <laughs> Well, I mean, there there is an argument that like this ushered in an era where Scorsese suddenly started making large movies. He did, like, and, again, I, and I wish it stopped a little bit, but yeah, I. I I accept that. It, it probably did. And he, he kind of worked on that scale for quite a bit. And probably and, still is. And his relationship with DiCaprio, which we'll probably talk about yes. either next week or the week after. Yeah. Um, but again, lots of stuff to unpack there, which I think makes this an interesting film and a turning point of his no, career definitely, as well. For sure. Because I think like as hard as we've been on DiCaprio and we've been pretty hard, I think he does bring something to the Scorsese dynamic that he doesn't I, always I, get I like for. him a lot in, in quite a few of the films we work together. Uh, I think Wolf Wall Street's his best performance he's ever given um, and that's saying so like he's he's made some good films but that's his, the zenith for me of uh, their yeah. relationship because he he completely understands what's needed in that film and brings it right. and that's a wild ride right. is there anything else you want to talk about anything we haven't discussed already uh, with regards to um, Gangs of New York yeah I do I actually we've mentioned already but just briefly there's a clamor every time a Scorsese film, particularly when they tank, uh, where people want, you know, we can't see the five hour cut to really see the masterpiece. Because <laughs> uh, Scorsese famously never does director's cuts. The films, yeah. he released their director's cuts, and that's it. how he sees it that you get the film, you get that stuff. But this one yeah. is particularly 
this is almost a Snyder cut element of uh, Gangs of New York. Like, can we get the mythical <laughs> five-hour cut? Like, and I, and weirdly enough, this is the one that you may, uh, if you ever see one day one of these things, if it gets out of whoever owns it at this stage, but if it ever gets out of that kind of uh, morass, well, that, I you, mean, you might. Like, you're, you're probably very, very excited as we record this, Jay, because Stallone is doing his own cut of Rocky Four. You don't have to tell and me. France- I cannot wait. And Francis Ford Coppola is doing his own cut, another cut of Godfather 3. Oh, stop. And obviously the Snyder cut <laughs> of Justice League is coming as well. Well, this is because we're in the middle of a pandemic. I know, there's nothing like else a, to do. Steven Soderbergh has been editing. Oopsie daisy! Of all sorts of films. But he does that anyway, but uh, yeah. Literally, as soon as they started making, like, filming footage again with Robert Pattinson on the Batman, there was a coronavirus outbreak and they had to suspend shooting yeah. immediately. Uh, you literally cannot make a movie. So I will see the to... Rocky, Rocky uh, Ford, oh, I can't flip and wait. Because that film needs more montages. <laughs> Sadly, they're losing the robot. They're losing I, I, the I, robot. I never particularly cared for the robot. As fun a pop oh, culture okay. thing as it is, it's not particularly interesting in <laughs> the film. Give me another montage. <laughs> it needs another montage. Every every kind of rich person in an 80s movie has a robot butler. There was one in Wall Street as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you you should get a robot butler. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I want the happy birthday Polly robot coming over to you during the podcast Andrew the next time we're on <laughs> oh what's this what? oh my god guys look it's my birthday <laughs> Isn't he amazing? it's a shame he doesn't talk because it's an audio medium but um, like you, you can tell I'm, by I'm the in, guy's reaction yeah. Um, we're all yeah, in silence. How, yes. how, how impressive! Look, there, there, there. Um, there he goes. Be, be. Um, uh, what is this? Be, be, um, the toss of 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 this robot um, <laughs> butler has um, sprung to life. Yeah. What? What? what <laughs> what's the line himself. from 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 Monk? <laughs> that the. The thought of of of, of violence has, has you know brought brought them to silence. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, good old monk. Yeah. 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 Has befuddled them or some sort of equivalent. Not that monk. Uh, oh. <laughs> no, no, different monk. But um, what I will say, actually, very very quickly, I like the use of eye imagery that happens here. Again, yes. it's something we talked about with Cundin. We talked about with um. Well, we talked about it as well, you know, when we talked about The Last Temptation of Christ as well. But the film opening with Priest opening his eye and towards the end you have Bill closing his eye and you have this idea that, you know, I mean, the opening narration, some of it I half remember, the rest I took from dreams, for example. Priest telling his young son, don't ever look away. And the fact that Bill the Butcher cut out his own eye because he did look away as well. The, the idea that you, that's the eagle that he kind of replaces it with as well. Benjamin Franklin kind of cursing in the air saying, damn, I wish it was a turkey. But even things like the, the kind of like the idea of having to look at this stuff as well, which I, I quite like as well. The idea that, you know, again, this is the beginning of America to a certain extent or this violence or this messiness, this kind of uncomfortableness, this racism, this sort of like just general stickiness and unpleasantness it, and sweat. It's, and... It, it, it's uncomfortable for me because it's it's that thing that people come keep on coming back to of slavery for example being this kind of necessary evil and and did and and this sort of, like all the things in the in this movie being somehow foundational it was like it's evil yeah but it's not necessary like, no, I don't, none, I don't none I... of this is necessary 
you know, but, but, but they, they, I think the film only argues it's necessary in the sense that it was inevitable rather than it was just. No, but it wasn't inevitable. It's it's kind of giving events, letting events off the hook, in uh, to a certain extent by 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 saying like like of course all of this was going to happen. Um, because that's well again this is Scorsese's very cynical nature where there's a sense of you know people are are like this they have the violence in them and they will yeah. bring the violence wherever that's they a, go I, I take Andrew's point in that regard but I, I do think yeah. it's a it's a worldview that's not obviously aligned itself with slavery or anything but it is it's very explicit as to how men's nature is yeah. will always find a way to do X because that's what they yeah. do and I, I think there is actually, to be fair, a valid criticism to be made of this as a movie about the Civil War that obscures the African-American experience. Like, it's a movie that's set in the Civil War milieu and you have, like, one significant black character yeah. at, at best kind of thing. I, I, and I he just gets lynched at the climax. And, you know, I mean, like, I get We've mentioned Scorsese kind of... and race before. And yes. It's yes, something he finds uncomfortable to deal with directly and perhaps is afraid to deal with directly. And, which is understandable to a certain point. But when you when you brush up against it like this, it's perhaps, you probably in retrospect, not enough to do what he yeah. does here, for sure. And I mean, and there is stuff that he does do, like, so you have the sequence where, you know, where the Amsterdam is standing out in the Hall of Tweed Hall, and he's looking at the kind of, like, sculpture of the Native American, as if a reminder that, you know, you know the way Scorsese talked mm -hmm. about the Irish being there before the Italians? You have that reminder that there was an entire indigenous population there before, before the they were wiped out to make way. Yeah. Or even the things like the little banners where they call themselves Native Americans. Where, you know, the, the know-nothings call themselves Native Americans, which is kind of terrifying and depressing. And it's like, you know, you, you get the context of it, but you still probably need to acknowledge it a bit more. Kind of yeah. stuff. Like, I know, I agree. A, it's a good thing to gesture at, but it's it's kind of, it's not there enough in the mix, or it's not loud enough in the mix, ironically. Well, it's kind of confusing. And I think it's, a, it's, a, I, think it's a, I didn't find it confusing, but I understand the reasoning for tiptoeing away from it, even yeah. if perhaps it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And I again, like you can kind of see why you would be cautious about doing that. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I mean more kind of confusing in a sort of an incoherent way. That if, 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 if that's kind of like, if that's a point that you're going to make, then make that kind of movie. I know, I agree, and I, 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 but it, but it, it, I think the point's made in the abstract, but I, I absolutely agree that it could be addressed yeah. plainer and more, more strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The one, one, one. One thing I did like was this, um, Bill talking about the uh, um, Ireland as the ex extra The God squatted yeah. <laughs> over yeah. the side of England. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On the seventh day, he's rested, but at that first, he squatted over the side of England. Because you could say the same th 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 about uh, Manhattan, like that, yeah. that it be it being this uh, this this island um, of like. You know that that's um, that God forgot, um, yeah. In in yeah. in the context of the movie, like uh, like yeah. like, uh, what gives him the right to call Ireland an extramontitious isle? That's air right. Where is he, he right he lives, now? When he, yeah, when he lives in Manhattan. Yeah, um, I yeah. do. I do like, by the way, the the kind of the westernness of it. So you have like the sequence where Jenny talks about going to San Francisco and like heading down around all the, the way around the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the way around the whole thing. We can head to San Francisco where they pull gold out of the ground. But you have this kind of sense of like New York in you know 1862 being a western town itself, like the sheriff. Confront that sequence where Monk is confronting Bill the yeah. Butcher in the public square, 
is very much like something from a Western yeah. where he's the newly appointed sheriff and the outlaw has shown up outside to kind of stand him up and stuff but like I, that. I, I did mention earlier that uh, Deadwood is a very interesting touchstone for it. If you haven't seen it, it's well worth watching because it, it gets at a lot of similar things, albeit a little more directly, but it, and, and very much on the Western tropes in that regard. And very quickly, one more thing that I really like about it is the kind of anthropological element of it. Like one of the criticisms or you know praise of this movie is that Scorsese is arguably much more interested in the world than the people who inhabit it. So things like the sequences where Amsterdam describes the different types of hustle, the anglers, the autumn divers, yeah. the badgers, the turtle doves, like this kind of weird sense of like delving into a world that's almost like a fantasy, basically. Yeah. It's almost like you know middle earth to a certain extent to reference another blockbuster that crushed this underfoot you know and it also later. it also reminds me of uh the kind of describing the operations of casino in casino it's yeah, like yeah. The, the machinations okay, of the but, world that they all play in i guess for want yeah. of a better thing so yes now that you mention it that's exactly why i like it Thank yeah you. of course like <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 kind of the opposite of that worlds that like i haven't seen avatar but i believe there's a condition where people um like dream of being being navi. in that world in 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 with the with the navi um and i imagine people have nightmares of i have a question for you darren if Andrew wants to watch avatar should he stop the podcast now and go watch avatar <laughs> <laughs> Will haunt your dreams, yeah. I have to say. I'd probably like it. Like, I, I, I want know. you to come back. I want to know. I need to know. I have to watch it in 3D, though. That's the thing. I saw, it in, 3D exactly. when it, I saw it in 3D when it came out uh, in Las Vegas in a big, massive cinema. Uh, it's it's uh, it's not good. It's not good. But anyway. Ten years ago, Jay was in a very different place. Ten years ago, yeah, you have well, to see it. Like, like the choices in Las Vegas. I could have thought he did literally everything. Like, <laughs> the Barbara Streisand are. <laughs> hey, you can do yeah. you can do both. You don't have to just do one Cirque or the other. <laughs> Cirque du Soleil or Avatar. I would have been at one of those buffets, doing impossible stunts. I, I was at one of those buffets also. They're oh. not, it's never an either or. I <laughs> love her and everything. Say, look, it's amazing. Yes. By the way, whoopsie Daisy. COVID for taking buffets. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is, is there there any into a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there because... any food waste? Did we, did we miss any food waste here? Is there uh, any, uh... They, they're quite good with the meat. I think uh, yeah. Bill the Butcher is very careful. Yeah, in fairness. I feel like they're going to eat anything, whether it falls on the ground or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to die aged in their 20s because of food poisoning somewhere along yeah. the way. I feel like, <laughs> sure. That yeah, sequence where he cooks the steak and yeah. it barely singes it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then inappropriate smoking... Well, no, plenty of it. Luckily, we ha- luckily we have the fire brigades to help us out. So Although I will point out, I do like the description of timber for cigarettes, and that really should have k- kicked on. I have to say, <laughs> it's a really nice description, uh, as a kind of yeah, but it didn't. So alas. Oh, I want to mention the 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 the, the very obvious special effects uh, scars are kind of like upsetting. Like what was 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 it was it on? Is it just with our new kind of devices that it becomes very obvious that 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 someone has just stuck those, those uh, scars onto DiCaprio? Anyway, it's not important, but it does kind of like. But it does raise a question about Blu-ray sharpness and stuff like that yes. for various films, and this has come up over the years, and it's an interesting one in terms of where you start seeing lines and things that you you really should. And whether see. it ends up becoming and less real, and it's become a thing about real. you know like newspaper articles that were indistinct in old films. 
becoming clearer and it's absolute nonsense because it's not because they never thought anybody would ever see it you know things are not like that and that's important but there you go that's still history in this all right then i think that about wraps it up unless there's anything else you want to talk about anything that we haven't discussed no, I, I think i think we've, we've probably covered everything and then some there is another course that is an hour longer where we talk about cameron diaz's ghost protocol alarms um <laughs> which are great by the way i absolutely love that um, yeah spoiler yeah. for that cut yeah um, yeah your man what's his face um saw that and was like that, that that's gonna be in mission impossible 4 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. right there yeah. um all right then so um when we end the podcast we usually ask our guests or our co-hosts to recommend something for listeners something they're enjoying at the moment and something that we think you listeners might enjoy as well so to give jay a moment to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew what would you recommend for listeners watch a better version of this movie watch the warriors <laughs> warriors Warriors is great I, I, the warriors is great i, I wholeheartedly echo that it's so good and all of the gangs are really sort of distinct and you kind of you did like you want to be in the world of the warriors to the extent that they made like a rock star video game of us to 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 just immerse yourself in it and that must have been like 30 years after the movie (laughs) like (laughs) exactly they were just waiting for technology to catch up to the point where it's like walter hill yeah 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 (laughs) But um, I'd recommend that. Also, um, I watched this on Amazon Prime. Um, Amazon Prime is trending upwards, I think, to to eclipse the number of people who vote in America. Um, so, like, uh, I guess people, like, decide now whether you want your kind of <laughs> um, one-month-free Amazon <laughs> or it, like because we have american uh, listeners or maybe registered to vote um yeah, yeah. Um, we are actually just we'll probably get in just under the radar on that yes so right. if you are in america please consider registering to vote if possible actually or anywhere not only register to vote but use your vote um yeah. i yeah. i love that sequence where they and, and vote them, twice sort of yes. like, yeah uh, only twice <laughs> less artistry more speed which i kind of adore um Kind of wonder, like, does he have like different cuts? So does he shave the sideburns off and leave a goatee? Yeah. Then you come back and lose the goatee. And, and the last again, one is like, the Hitler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> begin, wh- begin whittling it down basically yeah, until yeah. somebody calls your bluff. I remember shaving a beard one time, and like I had a beard and I was shaving, and I, and if, of course, the Hitler thing was the last. Yeah, um, I did it as well. It's terrifying, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it 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 just kind of like it. it everybody, you don't like yourself for that minute. I, I, yeah, I was doing it at work, like in the in the. <laughs> the this is like years ago in the in the in the in the dressing uh, r- uh, room at work, and this colleague of mine walks in. It's like a Polish. Oh, guy. Andrew! Jesus <laughs> he, Christ! He, he was, and he looks at me, and he's like. Um, that's terrible, but like even as Polish people, we do that too. Uh, <laughs> like when we're shaving. And I just, thus Andrew was not fired from work. At this <laughs> Your first response is to say it's a Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah I probably, um, I was probably about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and Jay, what would you recommend for listeners outside of shaving a Hitler tash? Uh, yeah, I don't recommend doing that, uh, <laughs> particularly in work, but. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple of 
a, there's a couple of older films that I've seen that, and if you're particularly if you're American, your listeners uh, on the Criterion Channel, which I watched very recently, uh, one's a documentary and one's a kind of docudrama. Uh, the documentary is Shirley Clark's Portrait of Jason, and it's nothing to do with me. Uh, this interview in the Chelsea Hotel over one night with this kind of black gay hustler in the late sixties when those all the pretty much all those things were illegal. <laughs> Um, and they like to exist and he's kind of a little drunk and he talks about his life and his, how he sees the world and everything and it's quite astonishing even even if there's probably ethical concerns around the filming of it at certain points where somebody probably should have been stepped in and aside and maybe not be filming it at certain points but it's a remarkable documentary it's a remarkable portrait it's a remarkable snapshot in time uh, and I watched the night after I watched the film Lizzie Borden's Born in Flames which is a drama about a kind of futuristic world that become a social socialist America. But then what happens, it's a 10 year anniversary of this new change in America. And basically what happens is that, you know, we find that people aren't even uh, kind of level, you know, no matter the society you're in, women are still put down. If you're from a different race, you're put down. And it's this kind of feminist kind of angry film about kind of getting and finding your place and reclaiming your space. And it's it really funny. It's it's part faux documentary, part kind of sci-fi, part action film. You can see something like Southland Tains being, being, being uh, influenced by it. Uh, it's really remarkable. Which means uh, it's a masterpiece for you then. By I adventure. love South. Yes, I love Southland Tales. But you can see where, that, where something like that could get its ideas from. Uh, and the two of them weirdly fell hand in hand, even if they're not quite in the same sphere. But I'm kind of glad I watched them both together because he kind of really kind of dovetailed nicely around particular areas of uh, interest to me. But they're both on the Criterion channel and probably at various other places, but absolutely essential watching. Perfect. And for my part, I will do what I always do at this point, which is I will recommend the Scorsese films between the ones we've covered. So he did My Voyage to Italy, uh, which is well worth seeking out. Uh, very much a companion piece to A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American movies, but with Italy, as the title might suggest. And also Bringing Out the Dead, which was uh, great as well. I rewatched it recently. It's a fantastic film. I would agree. A nice... Nice little counterpoint to Taxi Driver as well. Great Nicolas Cage performance. And God, I've forgotten how good Ving Rhames was when you yes. gave him a good script and good yep, direction. Yep, yep. And he Tom Sizemore. force of nature. Tom Sizemore is amazing there as yeah. well. And even like John Goodman is like the least selling point in your movie. Yeah, yeah. You know you're doing something right. Yeah. And John Goodman is always great. Um, so no, and it's very, very worth seeking out as well. Uh, and because we're not going to cover it, I would recommend Tenet. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And also... Oh, is this a new I'm thinking, film there? Yeah, I don't know if you've heard about it. No, um, no. It's been compl- no no advertisement, no press anywhere okay, whatsoever. What's the one? Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I think it's worth seeing. And also, I'm thinking of ending things, um, which, which is I still haven't got Kaufman film on Netflix. Ah, I'm quite looking forward to. It. I'm not entirely sure I understood what was going on, um, but it's it was really moody, really atmospheric, and genuinely you, moving at times. You're so not well still become. talking about tennis. <laughs> no, no ten- <laughs> because well, well, some of those things are true of tennis, and I love tennis. <laughs> like some of those things are also not true. <laughs> of, 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 very uh, moving of and very affecting. I, I should get crying to some... this week at some point, hopefully. I, I will be thinking of ending things. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of ending things. Yes. Um, all right, then. And we are thinking of thinking of ending this podcast. Excellent. So, Jay, where can we find you online? Where are you at? What's up? Uh, at Jay Coyle on Twitter, rambling on, as per usual. Perfect. You can find the podcast at, at the 250. We're available on Stitcher on SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are sold. Next week, it's going to be we're coming up to Halloween, so we're going to be giving Jay a week off. The Woo-hoo. wonderful Bernie Smurphy will be joining us, and hopefully the great Phil Bagnell for a discussion of that Nicolas Cage classic, The Wicker Man. The bees? 
No, not, not the, the bees. bees. Not the bees. Um, and then, and with a bit of luck, we'll be doubling up as well. And they will both be joining us the following week for a discussion of uh, Seven. David Fincher's Seven uh, for Halloween. It is as close to a Halloween movie as it's it's a, last That's a tough watch still. Oh, it absolutely is. We're very, very much looking forward to it. Then the following week after that, we'll be bringing Jay back as we kick off the final stretch of our Scorsese season with, in true Martin Scorsese fashion, something of a clip show episode covering The Aviator. Take it easy, guys. Bye. We'll be back next week. Bye. Early fall. There's a cloud on the New York skyline In a sense Dragged across a yellow line These are the hands that built America These are the hands that built